been one of my slickest intros yet on the live stream. Hello, welcome, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba. Time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, coming in your ears for episode 216 on Saturday the 22nd of January. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Ben. And I'm Amish Matt. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. And uh, what a treat we've got for you tonight. We've got yeah. returning champion Dave Matheson in the house. How are we doing, David? Ah, Jumbo. That's <laughs> Swahili. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, great to be here. It's are you not? To be here. Are you not fluent in Swahili, Dave? Ningipende kukajilisha kwaku. Jimalanguni, David Matheson. Excellent. Excellent. And that's all you need to know. Yeah. We were just saying before, um, it's been, well, over a year now. It's November 2020 since we last spoke to you. What have you been doing in the intervening time? Yeah, the intervening 10 years since 2020. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I've been busy. I'm sure you have as well. I see, you know, you've grown a beard. Ben has trimmed his beard. I've not just um, grown it. I've, I've, I've oiled my beard, especially for you, David. <laughs> very nice. Matt has stayed exactly the same. Yeah, no, yeah. I have uh, launched, it's just in its very beginning phases, the Undying Stars Academy. So oh. if you want to dive into astrotheology, it is now available online with me as your instructor, yours truly. Wow, excellent. Nice. And you've got you've got two courses, is that right? Two courses and one is getting ready to launch very mm. soon. So the third one will be the first part of our Celestial Bible Tour. And uh, that will be launching hopefully within a month and it will be i intended to do one course on the celestial bible tour and as i dove into it i was (laughs) diving in so deep to the different stories but always bringing it back to recovery of self loss of self recovery of self we can talk about that when we spoke last time i had just published myth and trauma and trauma is about separation from self And so the myths, I'm convinced more and more, it's just irrefutable that the myths are talking about this subject over and over and and how this happens and bring it to our attention because we suppress that. uh, We suppress that knowledge when somebody says, oh, you have a higher self, you know, in the pub, we're like, inching away from them, right? We're like, uh, get out of here. Don't talk to me about that weird stuff because we don't even want to hear about it. So that is what the myths are actually dramatizing to us. It's like how Mr. Miyagi, I use the, I use the metaphor so many times when Mr. Miyagi had to show Daniel son 
karate with kind of an end around because Danielson had so much negativity and doubt and self doubt going on in his head that Mr. Miyagi is like, how am I going to reach this kid? I'm going to reach him esoterically. And then the light bulb will come on without him even knowing it. That's the way we are with this, this profound information. Like we choke on it. Our, our, you know, defense mechanisms of our brain are like, get, no, I, I can't handle that. Or that's threatening to me, or I've got everything under control. Don't blow up my little world that I've built here. And the myths are showing us something. And then we understanding on a, a, a deep level and the light bulb comes on and then we're able to really grasp it. That's what they're doing. So long intro, that's what I've been up to. <laughs> yeah, it's such a powerful scene in the, the Karate Kid when you first see it and you make that realisation. You, you're seeing him basically, he looks like he's been made a slave. Paint, wax on, wax exactly. off, paint the fence, you know, and all this lot. Yeah. But when you actually see him then put it into practice, it's like, it's so powerful, that scene mm-hmm. when you make that connection the first time that... This guy wasn't just cracking the whip, getting him to do his chores in his DIY. There was like an actual purpose to it all. Yeah. It's so powerful, even when you see it the hundredth time. But that's what really, that's why that movie, Wax On, Wax Off, is like in the vernacular or it's almost synonymous with that movie because, you know, you say Karate Kid to someone and they'll probably say Wax On, Wax Off because it's that powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, the, and that's esoteric. That's the esoteric is you learn something before you understand it. I've, I've heard that definition quoted as being from Aristotle. I've never been able to find where Aristotle actually said it, but you learn it and then later you grasp it or you, you're grasping it on a deeper level. And then, you know, it's bypassing kind of the negativity or the doubt part of your brain. And then you understand it and then your conscious mind grasps it. It's like you understood it at the heart level and then your conscious mind was able to catch up. That's a great way to explain it, that that, uh, that term for esoterica, because it's something I found is that you'd be reading things and you'd be reading things across across what seem wildly different subjects and then all of a sudden something will click and you'll start seeing threads that run through previous things you've been looking at. And it's, uh, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. You're learning it before you understand it. Was that the way you said it? Yeah. Yeah. And I love the, the part about that that I love is that when we talk about esoteric, a lot of times people say, oh, hidden, you know, uh, obscured, occulted, but it's not hidden on purpose. It's not like Mr. Miyagi is trying to hide karate from Daniel. He knows that Daniel needs it, but he's, hiding it not really hiding it he's bypassing that doubting mind uh he's he's imparting it in a deeper way it's not really hidden it's hidden in a certain sense but it's really hidden in order for you to grasp it yeah kept safe yeah yeah yeah. well there's some Uh, people who say that it's hidden um let me say what's a, a nice way of putting it it's hidden from the profane on purpose Mm. um, because you sort of, you have to sort of prove yourself to gain this sort of stuff because it's quite, it would be dangerous in the wrong hands. Is that uh, going a bit too far? What do you think? No, there is that aspect of it for sure in history. Um, I, 
tend to take the position that this is for all men and women, that it's that it's for everybody. It's given to every culture, every culture on earth. Just before we were on the uh, recording in the stream, we were talking about the vast Pacific and the cultures of Polynesia and their ancient sacred traditions are based on this same system. And so are the Aboriginal indigenous traditions of Australia show signs of it in Africa. We'll even see some of that today. Um, this, the Norse myths that, you know, you asked to, to focus a little bit on Norse myths. So we'll do that today. Ancient Greece, ancient Egypt. Um, I believe this is for everybody. Um, and so there's this kind of accusation of, Oh, are you giving away the secrets? And there's a writer named Schwaller de Lubitsch yeah. who says, um, he's Alsatian or was Alsatian. Yep lived in the 20th century and he wrote a book on esotericism and symbol it's called in, in its English translation. He wrote it in French, but he said in there, you can't give it away because it has to be grasped by the heart. So no one can actually explain it for you. Like Danielson had to grasp it himself. Mr. Miyagi couldn't give karate to Danielson until Danielson was able to grasp it. And so, uh, yeah, it can be misused. This is powerful stuff. <laughs> but the other counter I'll give to that is it is being misused. <laughs> it's being used to traumatize people. And actually, I'm convinced its actual purpose is to uplift people and to heal trauma. The people who really understand it and who want to keep it secret are the ones who are using the karate to beat up everybody in town because they don't know karate. It's like you could win every bar fight if you knew just a couple of karate moves and nobody in that town was allowed to learn karate. And then when they came to your karate studio, he said, Oh no, this is, this is top secret. You can't learn this because I need to run this town. Yeah. Like sweep the leg. (laughs) (laughs) Sweep the leg. What sensei? Sweep the leg. (laughs) Funny you mentioned that uh, esotericism and symbolism because I read it in December. The uh, Schwal de Lubitz book. It's only a small book. Or at least, unless I only got a small version of it. Uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, Yeah, I think it's part of a bigger book, and they chopped it up when they translated it to English. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and, uh, well, one of the earlier books I read uh, in my journey of uh, esoteric exploration was the book he did on the Temple of Luxor as well. Mm, wow, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> have, you, have you ever thought about Temple doing it, like, compiling a reading list for people, Dave? Ooh, that's a great idea. I probably should. Um you know, I, I'll, I'll mention that Schwaller de Lubitsch was was focused on so much by the late, great John Anthony West. And that's who I first heard about him from. And he wrote Serpent in the Sky was in, in many ways a way of bringing Schwaller de Lubitsch to the masses, if you will, because Schwaller de Lubitsch was, I think, all in French at the time and John Anthony West wrote that originally in the 1970s. And that's where he started. You know, he took a, a line from Lubitsch on the Sphinx or Schwaller <laughs> on the Sphinx about uh, obviously water damage is what Schwaller and Lubitsch said in the 50s. And then he just kind of left that. He just dropped that and just <laughs> moved on. And John Anthony West said, wait a minute, that's enormous. That's huge. Um but to answer your question, that's a great idea. On my website, my main website is Star Myth World. 
starmythworld.com, starmyths of the world, but it's just starmythworld.com. And you can find it all on my Instagram, starmythworld. There is a page called resources. And if you go down to the very bottom of any page on starmythworld.com, there's a resources link. And that actually links you to a bunch of, you know, the uh, ancient texts translated into English, like the Odyssey or the Edda or the um, uh, Lost Light by Alvin Boyd Kuhn, which is all online. You can read it all online. So I do have a bit of a reading list in the resources section, but um, that's a great suggestion. You should do one. Sounds like you're reading a, a ton. Where's the Amish reading list? Should do, yeah. That's not a bad idea. Um, th- are you familiar with 13 Questions podcast? Yes, I bet I, I was on there maybe the third the third or you're fourth on there. or fifth. Yeah, I was on there a long, long time ago. Um yeah, with the great uh, Darren Grimes of Gramerica and, and his compadres. They've handed the reins over now, uh, Darren uh-huh. and Graham. And, um, but the, the, I think it's question three is uh, what's the most important book you ever read or something? Mm-hmm. And, and the boys at 13 Questions um, have compiled a list of what everyone's answered, basically. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, a good, cool. Uh, that's a good starting point for anyone. And um, yeah. also, the one reading list that I've used extensively is the one on Randall Carlson's website. Mm. He's got a he really is a good fountain point. of knowledge. He's a he's a deep, deep pool of knowledge with a fountain at the top, but all <laughs> going down down to the ocean. <laughs> you, know, you never reach the bottom of that uh, well of knowledge. Well, since we brought up Grimerica. Darren and Graham are obviously still doing Grimerica, and they are the ones who put together these contact at the cab cabin and canyons and cascades and cataracts events that I've been fortunate to be a part of. So we do one in uh, the canyons at Bryce Canyon and Zion Canyon national parks in Utah. Every year we've got another one of those coming up in early May. We did one in April of 2021, but I also had the opportunity to go on the one with Randall up in the uh, Scablands and Nobody, no matter how many Rogan interviews with Randall you've watched or how many of his podcasts you've watched, has heard all of the wisdom and knowledge that that man has has at his disposal. He is so learned and uh, articulate at explaining it. It's just a joy to listen to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a big hero of mine, Rand- Rand- Randall's. He's probably one of my sort of top five dream guests to get on. Yeah. But I'm just too scared, too scared to ask him. Don't want to be like, oh, ask him. Well, you know, no, you what if he says no? I would be so crestfallen. So, oh, well, you have to ask several times. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, Dan- it's like Danielson had to ask Mr. Miyagi several times to get him to teach him karate. Yeah. <laughs> he was doing the karate and he's, he's doing it on the, on the TV and Mr. Miyagi comes in to fix it. And he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, Karate. (laughs) (laughs) Keep practicing. (laughs) Yeah, so you got to ask him several times. Just let your beard grow a little further, and and he'll probably come on. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, Anyway, Dave, shall we shall we move on to uh, what you had in mind to talk about? Yeah, I, I would love that. So, I've got some slides to share with you, and just as a intro before I throw those on. People are probably familiar with my work, but this is really something I stumbled into 
or I would say I was led to it by a force that wasn't my conscious doing. Um, I would say higher self, or we all have something that the myths are describing as higher self that we, I call it deeper self because we tend to bury it, especially in childhood is, is when we kind of lock it in the cellar. It's like the metaphor I use is like the coach. Think of the best NBA team. I like to think of the Chicago Bulls that had Michael Jordan. You mean the Dallas Mavericks? Think of all the different, yeah, Dallas Mavericks. That's my son's favorite. Okay. Um, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, but imagine the, the Bulls or whatever team you want, all those different personalities, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, they all had different strengths. They all had different weaknesses and different, you know, kind of triggers that would set them off or, you know, self-destruct, you know, ways that they could self-destruct the team. But they had this Phil Jackson coach who knew exactly how to handle. He was like the higher self that knows exactly how to make each of your different, because we all have that team going on inside our head or that that NBA team. And if we wanted to win, we've got to have a Phil Jackson because otherwise the parts of us, this is tying into something that this fantastic psychologist named Dr. Richard Schwartz discovered this system paradigm called internal family systems. We have a family of different parts that we, you know, we have a Dennis Rodman part or a Michael Jordan part and they're all have great strengths, but the Phil Jackson knows when, Oh, you got to sit on the bench now because I need you in about 10 minutes or whatever. If there was no Phil Jackson, they'd be arguing, no, no, I'm not coming out. No, I'm taking the next shot. And their talents wouldn't live up to their full potential, but with that higher self. But the problem is we lock our Phil Jackson down underneath the floorboards and we try and run it like the team arguing with each other. So anyway, long story short was I think my buried Phil Jackson, my, my own, you know, authentic Dave was leading me towards this realization that all the myths are based on the stars. So that's what I've been researching for the past 12 now going on 13, maybe 13 years already um, is that all the myths are based on the stars. And that includes all the stories in the Bible. And they're all talking about many profound things, but one of the most profound things they're talking about is what I just explained with that basketball metaphor, Mm. but you can do it for, and that metaphor translates to all kinds of other different um, sports, but just in our life that is going on. I feel uh, very strongly that's going on inside my head. And uh, I'm convinced that the myths are talking about that. So without further ado, um, you know, I said, hey, are there any particular myths that you guys want to talk about? And of course, you know, you guys had your Amish conclave and you said, Amish myths. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So Phil asked, Phil, Phil for the group, Phil speaking for the group asked for some Norse myths. So that's what I've got. And I haven't really gone into them that much on different podcasts. So I love it that you asked that and well, I think I can jump in. I think I can speak for all of us in saying that our knowledge of Norse myths is limited strictly to the Marvel films uh, <laughs> and, and the TV series Vikings. Vikings yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, Ben's like, speak for yourself. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Great. So well, you are there in, you know, you're in the northern, yeah. you know, the cold Atlantic storms and the, you know, the frosty. Yeah. Yeah. Just let's all imagine that in, as we're as we're looking at that, you know, cozy English pub that you guys are sitting in, that instead we're in a Viking hall, you know, with the wooden timbers soaring up overhead and uh, lit by these uh, warm, inviting fires uh, over uh, big pots of, I don't know, stew or pulled pork or whatever they, they were eating. In Valhalla, there was a there was a boar that they could slay every day and make, I guess, a big pork roast out of it. And then uh, it would magically come back to life, you know, after they ate it <laughs> somehow. But uh, in one of the Viking halls, in one of the myths, it's not lit by fires. It's actually lit by swords. The swords along the wall are giving off an eerie glow. And that glow lights the whole Hall, and that's actually a myth that we'll touch on today. But anyway, so all your viewers who are streaming can imagine we're in, you know, the the rugged north, and all these myths they have different flavors around the world. The Viking myths are stark and harsh, and lots of uh, you know heads being lopped off and entrails being pulled out and things like that. And, and you would say, oh, it's so different from, let's say, the myths of ancient India, where when the gods are happy, they pour down flowers onto the earth. You know, gorgeous flowers start falling from the heavens. And you would say, oh, you know, that's so different. But actually, they're all based on the same system. It's just like they put on different clothing in different climates or different cultures. But they're all, as we'll see, we'll see a couple of pieces of evidence that they're all connected. So when we talk about the Norse myths, I do have to always kind of give this caveat that I'm not, you know, it's been latched onto by kind of supremacist, kind of, you know, hard right sometimes, um, you know, so like neo-Nazi or, you know, the Nazis were kind of into, <sighs> hey, let's bring back the Norse myths and ditch the right Falk, but the, folkish but yeah, yeah but the mistake is the, the what i'm sorry Falk, folkish folkish that's yeah. what that was like the german equivalent yeah. wasn't it the like nazis the folk, were yeah i got you drawing yeah. on folkish german mythology right. hard right. and and i feel there's nothing don't don't take me wrong i'm not saying there's nothing wrong with what the nazis are doing there's nothing wrong with loving your heritage there's nothing wrong with loving the myths of your culture um but it's when you start, of course, start to use violence against other people. That's obviously wrong. Mm. And the mistake is these myths are based on the exact very same system that the stories of the Bible are or that the stories of the cultures around the world. So it actually should unite all people rather than saying, oh, my way is better than your way. But that's the way it's been used over and over, especially actually with literalist Christianity going around saying, we happen to have the only stories that are true and that we have the only church that was you know, put on earth by God. And therefore we can burn up your ancient texts and burn down your and chop down your sacred places and put ours on top. And so um, just because we're diving into the Norse myths, I, I just kind of put that caveat in there, but I am, Norwegian. I'm half Norwegian, half English, basically, is my 
ancestry, if you go back um, on my dad's side, it's from Norway. And my grandfather actually was born in Norway and came over to the United States when he was 16. So I have a special place, you know, for the Norse myths. I grew up with the Norse myths. We'll actually see. Um, I'm going to share my screen. I'll show you guys. And let's share and do that. Let me know when you can see it. Yes, wow. yours. All right. I love that. That right. font is very Tolkien-esque. Uh, I chose it just for that effect. Absolutely. We have to get in the atmosphere of the myths, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for commenting on that, Ben. Um, <laughs> this is the book that I, I don't remember a time that I didn't have this book. I used to draw these figures and um, color them in and stuff on, you know, sheets of paper this is a book that was published actually in 1967, Norse Gods and Giants by the great Ingri and Edgar Perrin Dolaire. And uh, they wrote it and illustrated it. And it's a wonderful introduction. If you go on, you know, Amazon or wherever, you'll, you'll see it. It'll say something like for ages eight to 11 or something like that. Nonsense. This is fantastic. <laughs> you'll love it. You'll love it no matter what age you are. And if you have children, uh, you should raise them uh, on this book <laughs> and others by the dual layers, others on uh, Phil's list. <laughs> but, uh, but there's the Norse myths. You can see Odin there. He has one eye. He's holding a spear. This is actually like a, there's two pages. I only took a picture of one page, um, but there's Loki running off onto the, off, off the page. He's up to some kind of mischief. Trickster. And so this is from, this is where I wanted to start because this is a little bit of a metaphor for what we're doing and what we're doing on podcasts. We're, we're doing something that relates to this wonderful story. So this is a story about Bragi, the God of poetry, but we'll get into it in a second. This is from that book that I just showed you page 64, but the Norse myths, just like all the other cultures of the world were attacked and suppressed by Christianity, once it literalist Christianity, once it had uh, kind of conquered all the easier parts of Europe, it finally got up to the Scandinavian lands around maybe around uh, 900s to 1000 is when that battle was going on. And it was really uh, the Norse ways were stamped out there. But in Iceland, which is even harder to get to, is where the last preservation of the Norse myths was written down. So we have these two sources. That's mainly all that we have for the Norse myths. And so I just want to bring those up. One is the poetic Edda, sometimes called the elder Edda. And this is a great translation by Carolyn Larrington, professor Carolyn Larrington, very respected, internationally known scholar from England. You should try and have her on. Um, Yeah. She uh, she translated this wonderful translation of the Poetic Edda, and that's the we believe the older source, and it's obviously poetic. It's in poetry, but then there's a later source that was written down by Snorri, and this one was discovered first. Snorri Sturluson, and uh, he lived from 1179 to 1241. So after Iceland had kind of started to fall to Christianity, and and did, and so in kind of the first or second or maybe third generation after that, Snorri said, we have to preserve 
something that's going to be lost. And he wrote it down. It's called the prose Edda. He's the one who called it Edda and scholars argue over what that word even means. But uh, this one was translated. This is the one, this is actually a photograph of the one I own. I bought it at a used book store at Hunter's Point Naval Base in San Francisco. And they put this stupid sticker on there that I can't get off. <laughs> <laughs> I just gave up. I'm like, I'm going to rip the cover if I keep, keep this up. But that's actually a picture of Odin on his eight-legged horse from the 1600s or 1700s. But this translation by Anthony Falks, he's still alive. He was born in 1937, professor at University of Birmingham. And Carolyn Larrington refers to him in her translation and says, his Edda is wonderful and it's always at my elbow, she says. So she she greatly respects this translation by uh, Anthony Falks, Professor Anthony Falks. So those are the sources but I also like to use Norse Gods and Giants by the Dolaires, which you're seeing here. But they're basically using Snorri's version of this story that I'm about to tell you. Cool. Are you guys ready for a story? Yes. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Story time into the saga as we go. So this is where poetry came from. But I just love this metaphor. So what's going on in that picture up top? We've got this strange-looking figure emerging from a big vat with little droplets falling into it. What is that? Well, anyone who's reading ahead to this first paragraph, there was this battle between two categories of gods. And we see these battles in myth around the world, right? There's the Trojan War between the Achaeans and the Trojans, or there's in the myths of ancient India, the great battle of Kurukshetra, this cataclysmic battle. And in the Norse myths, there's Ragnarok at the end of the world. But this is a battle that took place basically at the beginning of the world. It was the first battle is between the Aesir gods, or actually I'll pronounce it Aesir. That's how I've heard Carolyn Larrington. I listen to her pronunciations very carefully and use them as much as possible because she's obviously an authority. So she calls it Aesir. I grew up in my mind saying Aesir gods, but she says Aesir. And the Vanir. So there's two groups of gods the Aesir and the Vanir. And we don't really know that much about the Vanir. I mean, there's a little mention of them in the myths, but for the most part, they kind of fade into the background. They're kind of misty. In fact, they're associated with kind of mist and sea and fog and cloud. And the Aesir gods are the ones that we're familiar with, like Odin and Thor and uh, the goddesses like Frigg. So anyway, they, they had this big battle, and the Vanir actually broke into Asgard and broke down the walls, and finally they kind of fought to a truce, and they decided to exchange hostages. So the Aesir gave some hostages over to the Vanir to live. You know, it's like, okay, goodbye, you're going to go live with the Vanir for, from now on. And the Vanir gave Frey and Freya, Freyr and Freya, uh, but that's a different story. But after they finished the battle and they exchanged the hostages, the Aesir and the Vanir sealed their pact in, of peace in a strange way. They gathered around a huge vat, chewed certain berries, and solemnly spat the juices into the vat. So they had a big uh, you know, gathering. They took some chewing tobacco and chewed on it and spit a big stream of spit into this vat. <laughs> and uh, the, these divine juices took shape, and out of the vat rose Kvasir, 
I don't know if I'm saying it exactly right. I haven't heard Carolyn Larrington say it, but I'm going to say it that way. The spirit of knowledge. He was this wise entity arose from them all getting around a vat and spitting into it. So I think that's a perfect metaphor for podcasts. (laughs) We're all gathering around and spitting into this, you know, kind of common place. And then something rises up out of it that wasn't there before. It's like I couldn't come up with that all by myself. I needed Phil and Matt and Ben to also kind of spit around (laughs) into this subject. And then, you know, new knowledge rises up out of there. I think it's a great mythical metaphor. But let's uh, continue here. There was no question that he could not answer. So if you get together and, and everybody spits into a vat, you can come up with the answer to any question. And no matter how much he was pumped for information, he never ran dry. On the contrary, his knowledge increased. So this is an amazing, amazing uh, story. And I think it's so, you know, I don't know, <laughs> positive for us to apply to our life. But then these two, two gnomes or two dwarfs in, uh, in the Snorri tells this whole story in the... Uh, which is actually him talking about poetry. So poetry is super important. All the ancient myths, not just the Norse myths, are given to us in poetry. You think of the Odyssey, the Iliad, the Mahabharata. They're all in verse. Um, Mahabharata is from ancient India. The Vedas, the Tao, the Jing is basically in kind of a verse. Um, the, the Hesiod's Theogony or Theogony, um, talking about the birth of the gods, is all in verse. Hey, Dave. Sacred traditions around the world. Yeah, go for it. Just to interject, do you think that's maybe because they started off as songs? Yeah, I think so. But I think it also has to do with, like, rhythm mm. and cycles. Like, you know, the heavens, if all the myths are based on the stars, which they are, I can show, and those heavenly cycles have meaning... Verse is, is, is speech, but it's even more than speech. It's like speech that's been metered, and, 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 and it's still important to us today. We might think, oh, we don't really recite too much poetry. We probably should, yeah. but we all know Led Zeppelin, yeah. and that's verse, and, and uh, you know, the White Stripes or whomever. So uh, this is actually about the beginning of poetry, this story that I'm going to tell. But you're right. Um, I think it was preserved in speech and in, you know, the bards and the scalds would memorize it. And you maybe can memorize lyrics better than you can just memorize plain old prose and poetry. It gives you kind of something to hang on to. It gives you some mile markers, if you will. Um, yeah, because we're assuming that these stories go back beyond the invention of writing. Yeah, um, well, so. and, and it's very important in the Norse myths. The, the invention of writing is described with Odin. These are the two. The story I'm going to tell you is like, where does wisdom come from? Well, one source is from poetry, and the other source is when Odin gets the runes. I'm not going to go into that story, but I do in, a, in some detail in my book about Norse myths. But this one is also equally important. It's like wisdom comes from poetry which comes from the gods, which we just saw it. This wisdom comes from the gods first. They spit into this vat. 
This is where poetry is going to come from. When this god Kavasir or this entity that comes up out of the vat, he's actually killed by these two dwarves. They actually have these, uh, these dwarves are talked about in the Edda. I'm not going to, in the interest of time, I'm going to kind of rush ahead a little bit, but these two, Kavasir basically goes around the world visiting people to give them wisdom, to talk with them. He goes to people's houses. But when he comes to the house of these two malicious dwarves, they drown him wow. instead of uh, listening to his wisdom. And then they turn his blood into basically mead, not quite <laughs> ale, not quite beer, but mead, yeah. which I think is kind of beer sweetened with honey. Yeah. But that mead becomes the mead of poetry. So these dwarves have three vats of mead that they made from the blood of Kavasir, and that's going to become the mead of poetry. And uh, this Jotun, and Jotuns are usually thought of as like terrifying, gigantic, mountainous troll-like giants. But actually in the Norse myths, they are very dangerous and they do fight against Thor all the time, and Thor loves to fight against them and kill Jotuns. That's his favorite pastime. But <laughs> the Jotuns are also keepers of wisdom. They're very ancient. They're even more ancient than the gods. So this Jotun comes and says, hey, where'd Kvasir go? And the dwarfs kill that, that Jotun too. And then that Jotun's wife comes and says, uh, where'd my husband go? And the dwarfs kill her too. And so the son of those two Jotuns that were killed by the dwarfs gets really pissed off and goes to the dwarves and he says, okay, you two, <laughs> that's enough. And he ties them to a rock, a rocky little islet out in the ocean at low tide. And he says, you know, when the tide comes in, it's going to be well over your head and that'll be the end of you two. And they're like, Oh, please, please let us go from this rock. And he says, no, you killed my parents. I think I'm going to let the tide come in and the, the cold Atlantic drown you. It's going to be really enjoyable for me to watch you two drown. And they say, look, we'll, we'll do anything. We'll give you anything. He says, okay, how about those three vats of the meat of poetry? And they say, okay, anything, take it. And so this Jotun's name is Sutung, and he takes, or Sutunger, and he takes the, the meat of poetry, he puts it in a mountain, inside of a mountain in a chamber, a cave deep, deep under the mountain. And he has his daughter, his beautiful daughter, Gunlod, in the mountain. He says, you got to guard this meat of poetry. Do not let anybody get it. And so this is how poetry came to humanity. This and Snorri is telling this because Snorri understands that poetry is so powerful and so important. And so he's telling this story about how it came to humanity. And this is the Norse myth about it. So I'll just I'll go through the myth and then I'm going to show you some stars. So Odin wants, he's always looking for wisdom. He's always going to the Jotuns and in disguise, he, he, he will put on a disguise and go and test knowledge with Jotuns to try and find out whatever he can. He is thirsty for wisdom at all times. Most of all, he wants to know about Ragnarok because he knows that's the doomsday of the gods. So he's usually always when his questioning, warming up for that topic that he wants to get to at the end. He wants to know what's going to happen to us Aesir gods at Ragnarok. But um, 
he'll go to Jotun's and question them. He'll bet, often he'll bet his life against them. He'll say, you know, let's bet heads. Whoever wins the contest can take the other person's head off their shoulders. And uh, if I can ask you a question you can't answer, I get to cut your head off. If you can ask me a question I can't answer, you can cut my head off. <laughs> That's what he likes to do. Kind of cool. Hardcore. Yeah. We should start a podcast. <laughs> Shut your head. <laughs> you come on. We ask you a question you can't answer. That's it. Actually, that's a that's a game for gods and Jotuns. I don't think us more mortals should probably play that one. <laughs> There's plenty of questions I don't know the answer to. But he's always doing that to try and find out. But in this in this story, he's not going to go uh, bet his head. He's going to try and get that mead. So he has this high seat. It's called the Lidskjalf. I think it means the high shelf where that's his throne. That's where he sends his ravens out into the world. He has two ravens that sit on his shoulders and they, they fly everywhere and they come back and tell him everything they've seen. And uh, from his lead skjalf, Odin could see that the Jotun was putting these vessels of mead down inside this mountain. The mountain's called the Nitbjörg, this this huge mountain and uh he sees the beautiful maiden you know that the jotun his daughter gunloth is going to uh, be placed down there inside the mountain guarding the vat and he says i've got to have that mead so it says here in the first paragraph he changed himself into a snake and wormed his way into the mountain through a crack in the rock actually i'll, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory snorri tells us he goes and works for that jotun's brother and he says well, first he tricks the Jotun's brother's workers out in the field into all killing one another with their scythes, you know, that they cut down the wheat with. And so the Jotun's brother has no workers. And he's like, great, what am I going to do? There goes all my help. Um, and Odin says, well, I can do the work of nine men. Why don't you let me work for you all summer? I'll, I'll work in the fields for you and do the work of your nine helpers that unfortunately were killed. I know how they were killed. And the Jotun's brother says, okay, uh, that sounds good if you can do it. And Odin says, well, let's work, let's work out the wages first, what you're going to pay me. I want a sip of your brother's mead. And the Jotun's brother says, I don't think he's going to give you that. Uh, he's pretty particular about his mead. And Odin says, well, if I work for you, that's what I want. And the brother says, okay, we'll give it a try. After you work for me, I'll go talk to him. And so Odin works all summer, and when winter comes, he says, okay, I want my wages now. Let's go get the mead. And so the Jotun goes to his brother, Sutum, and says, uh, hey, this guy worked for me all summer. I promised to give him a sip of your mead. What do you say? And Sutum says, no. <laughs> no way. Get right out of town. So the brother that Odin was working for takes a special auger, you know, that you bore a hole in the rock with and bores a hole right down through the uh, mountain into the chamber where the beautiful Jotun's daughter is guarding the maid. And then Odin turns himself into a snake and goes into the mountain and wiggles out the hole. And then he changes himself into the handsome young God that he is. And there you see it. She's, she's like, whoa, I've been down here all alone with this mead stuck inside this mountain. No parties. I feel like I'm in lockdown. And here comes the god Odin. Whoa, party. And, and uh, he starts telling her how beautiful she is. And 
basically this is the children's version here. <laughs> yeah, I think we can imagine what happens next. It's going to yeah. be a fruity. In her loneliness, she liked hearing about it. She smiled and enjoyed the company of her handsome young guy. <laughs> After three days, she'd grown so fond of him that she said, in Snorri's version, it says he lay with her three nights. And so she said, okay, you can have a sip. For each night after that, you can have one sip of the mead. So being the God that he is, he drains each one of them in one sip and holds it all inside of him, turns himself into an eagle and flies away. <laughs> wow. And there's, this is a picture from a uh, picture book of the Norse myths from 1908 of Odin turning into, you can see him craning his head down to say, sorry about this. <laughs> I feel terrible, but I've got to get this mead back to Asgard. And she looks up at him and says, what? Are you kidding me? This is terrible. Uh, and you can see the vat there in the front foreground. She's, 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 uh, she's heartbroken. Odin has stolen her mead and is flying away. And you have to be careful when you do that to the daughter of a Jotun because Sutung is a Jotun and he's pissed when he sees the, he sees his eagle flying away from his mountain and he immediately figures out what must have happened and he turns himself into an eagle and he gives chase and flies after Odin. So here's actually a picture from the 1700s I believe of Odin being chased by Sutung. Um there's a kind of funny looking eagles but that's that's what happens in the myth. And uh, <laughs> there's Sutung coming up from behind and there's Odin ahead. But of course, Odin is full of mead. He's got like three vats full of mead in his belly. And so Sutung is catching up to him and he's like flying towards Asgard and the gods at Asgard say, Oh, here comes Odin with the mead, put out a bunch of barrels. And so as Odin's Um. going over, he (laughs) spits out all the mead into the barrels or the containers and uh, the gods at Asgard have it, and Sutung has to fly back home without his mead. But some of the drops fall on earth where uh, poets can get a hold of it. But actually, anyone who gets those kinds of drops turns into like a really bad poet. That's like <laughs> Snorri says, those are like people who are just kind of like bad rhymers that just kind of are making terrible poetry. But Odin gives some poets on earth his mead, the mead of poetry, and those become the great poets and scalds and bards of the earth. And you can actually see in this uh, 1600s or 1700s, I blew, I, I blew up the uh, the picture, the the words. You can see Odin is mentioned there, and Sutung is mentioned there. So that's how that's how uh, poetry came to the gods first, and then to humanity cool. super important mm. and then just uh, i'll finish off the story with bragi the god of poetry so gunlov and odin so odin lay with gunlov three nights gunlov has a son after you know the, the appropriate time she gives birth to a son and that son becomes bragi the god of poetry and he's Described actually as having a very young face, rosy cheeks, you know, uh, but long white hair and beard. So yeah, I guess he's like super wise. But the uh, this is from Snorri, who says there's one called Bragi. 
He is renowned for wisdom and especially for eloquence and command of language. And because of him, poetry is called brag. It's interesting. He also says that like a, a revered chief or leader, you know, a war chief will also be called brag. I don't know if I'm sure our word in English brag, brag mm. has some connection to this. But what's really interesting, and I'll just bring it full circle, is this story that I just told you in Snorri is told in the form of a dialogue. And the one who's telling the story is Bragi. He's telling it to a Jotun named Aigir in this hall that's lit by the swords, the glowing swords. They're, they're having a big party. All the gods are there. This, this uh, Jotun named Aigir likes to have parties. And uh, at the party, Bragi is sitting next to Aigir. And Aigir says, hey, where did poetry come from, Bragi? You're the god of poetry. Can you tell me? And then Bragi tells this story, which is actually about his parents, <laughs> Odin coming in and, uh, and stealing the mead from, from uh, Gunlov. And oh, and the other person in this picture is the goddess Idun. She's one of the, uh, the Asgard, Asgardian goddesses. She's actually mentioned in that story about Aegir. It says there were 12 gods around Odin, which is obviously very important. You know, you have the 12 Olympian gods, you have the 12 yeah. stations of the Zodiac, and Idun is one of those 12 that's mentioned. And she is the keeper of these golden apples mm -hmm. that keep you young, that keep the gods young. And so if the gods don't have her apples in Norse myth, they grow old. And at one, one of the stories, she gets kidnapped by a Jotun, and all the Asgard gods, the, the Aesir gods, start to grow old. And they're like, we got to figure out where those apples went. And, they, and that's a whole other story. But Dave, do you, do you think Bragi is, is young because he's, he's eating one of these apples? There's a core on the floor just, uh, just under his feet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's probably why. But for whatever reason, it, it, his hair is still... <laughs> just like Julian Assange. <laughs> uh, <Yikes>. so, um, <laughs> so how did you guys like the story? Yeah, it was great, man. Loved it. Good. Yeah. I appreciate that. You immediately yeah, that. think of the parallels with Zeus, a famous transforming womanizer, transforming well, yeah. into eagles. And Someone has just put into the, the chat actually about sort of, if you knew any links between the ancient Phoenicians and Norse myth. As well, I don't know if that's something you're familiar with. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, there are theories. I don't know if Ralph Ellis is 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 the scholar or researcher who who has this theory about you know the Phoenicians were all over the British Isles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there are connections. There are, there are deep right. connections. There's connections around the world. So. Mm. Um, yeah, the Phoenician myths is something I would have to, uh, you know, if I were in a Jotun contest, I'd lose my head <laughs> right now. But, um, yeah, I don't have any off the top of my head. I haven't particularly studied. But you see, the Phoenicians, that's kind of what we would call the, the Near East in our, you know, British-centric way of describing the world, the Levant, mm -hmm, the, yeah. the Eastern Mediterranean, the coast of the Mediterranean that's to the east, uh, Asia Minor, below Asia Minor, that whole region, a lot of their myths are connected to the Greek myths, but also 
there's some different ones like the goddess, um, the goddess Sibeli or Kaibeli, C-Y-B-E-L-E, who's uh, her devotees, her priests um, were described as mutilating themselves, like actually, you know, cutting off their male members and, uh, you know, their manhood in order to be a priest of Sibeli or Kaibeli. And I remember being told about that in seventh grade. We had a great, great <laughs> teacher who told us about Sibeli. <laughs> that's how that's how I've always heard it pronounced, Sibeli, but it's spelled C-Y or K-Y-B-E-L-E. So that's, she's like a Phrygian goddess um, from like modern day Turkey. So a little tiny bit north of where the Phoenicians were, but all those cultures were kind of mixing together. And she... Um, she clearly connects with this whole system. The system that the Norse myths are based on is the same system. She's connected to a mountain. She has a mountain that's called the, you know, the mountain is called the child of Sibeli or Kaibeli. We'll see it in the, and we'll see it in the stars. I've got the stars up here. I'm going to show you how this myth is based on the stars. And Sibeli from ancient Phrygia, which is just north of ancient Phoenicia. But the Phoenician gods and goddesses, well, there's Ash. Ashtaroth. I mean, the more I think about it, the more it will come to me. The goddess of uh, Ashtar or Ishtar, which is related to the Mesopotamian Babylonian Ishtar, and in in uh, Inanna was her name in the Sumerian. And so, I, yes, I know lots of myths about like Ishtar and Inanna, which is Ashtaroth for the Phoenicians. You know, the Phoenicians were in the same place as the. Um, you know, the, the Old Testament stories, the biblical... Yeah, I was just going to say, going back to the Old yeah. Testament, the, the Asherahs, you read about the yeah. Asherahs when uh, the Israelites were coming up, you know, Moses, exactly. Moses saying, get rid of your Asherahs and your calves and all the rest of it. We've got this new guy. That's right. This yeah, new guy stop putting up those poles. And the poles... The places, in high the places. Asher- yeah, the high places, exactly yeah. right, which is related to the same constellation as the Lidskjalf, the high seat of Odin. So... There's absolutely, I mean, the more I talk about it, the more the connections will come to me. But Ishtar goes down into the underworld, just just like in this. Here we have, you know, a maiden in a chamber down beneath the mountain, which is a lot like the myth of Zeus coming to the, um, the mother of Perseus. She's placed into a chamber underneath the ground and Zeus descends to make love to her. She's supposed to, you know, remain a virgin because her father has learned from the Oracle that her son will kill him. So he's like, Oh, let me just lock her in a chamber under the ground. It's very similar to that. And you think about it three nights. So Odin and, and Gunlod are down there under the earth for three nights. He stays with her three nights, which is just like three days and three nights in the tomb or, you know, three days in the tomb and then the rebirth. Then he flies up as an eagle carrying this amazing gift of poetry, which connects us to the divine realm. So, I mean, this, this story relates to how we connect with our higher self, which connects us to the realm of the gods. That's where we get our inspiration. Um, But yeah, so Ishtar is related to Ashtaroth or Asherah or the, the Asherah poles. And she goes down into the underworld, Inanna, and she gets hung up on a hook for three days. And it's the same constellation. So it's a great question. I would say the answer is obviously yes. I'm not 
holding myself up as an expert on Phoenician myths per se. I know a lot of myths from that region. I haven't written a book or dived directly into the Phoenician myths, but I'm glad that that question came up because I did want to bring up that three nights and then this kind of miraculous transformation into a bird carrying the gift of poetry. And the whole importance of poetry is that's how we know about the divine realm is it comes to us in the form of poetry. These stories that were handed down to your point, Phil, through the generations from who knows how long ago, because they were already fully developed in the myths of ancient Mesopotamia, the Sumerians and the Babylonians and the myths of ancient Egypt and the myths of ancient India, the Vedas, very, very ancient in the midst of China, very, very ancient. So great question. So I'm, I've got the stars up here because I'm going to show you how this is all related to the stars. If you're ready or yep. more comments or interaction, we can continue spitting into the vat. Uh-huh. Yeah. More, more spit. Yes. Yeah, spit, spit away. Do it. Well, it's, it's funny. You know, we were, we were talking about 13 questions before uh, Bill's in the chat from 13 questions podcast. Hey, Hey Bill. Did you say well, Bill? Yeah. It's Bill. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought you had a question. I guess we were just about talking about... We've got 13 of them. Somebody else is, Somebody has asked a question. Yeah, it is, Bill. Oh, does, does Ishtar have anything to do with Easter? Bill's asked. Yes, people believe that it does. Scholars tell you that it does. She's a fertility goddess. That's the time of spring when we have bunnies who are usually hopping around and... Shaggy. You know, they, you know the English expression is, have sexual intercourse like bunnies. <laughs> Except they use an Anglo-Saxon word for that. <laughs> this uh, a short, three a days, one. three days in a miracle as well. Is that? Um, yeah, that's yes. Some yeah, parallels. It's, it's all it's all related to this. These heavenly cycles are related. This whole system is is using the heavenly cycles to tell us things about ourselves. This is actually about what I was talking before about burying the coach underneath the floorboards of the of the court. And then the players are all arguing with one another and the game is going terribly. And all they have to do is reconnect with that buried, suppressed, Mm. higher self or that, you know, the Phil Jackson who knows exactly what to do. And actually, he's always available. Or she, Ishtar is obviously a female goddess. She is an image of higher self. No matter what happens, she gets buried under the earth. She gets, she goes down to the underworld. She gets humiliated. She gets hung up on a hook. But higher self, our authentic self, is actually indestructible. No matter what trauma we've gone through, that's what the myths are telling us by having these Osiris figures who get cut up and buried in the underworld. Osiris gets cut into 14 pieces, but he comes back. Ishtar or Inanna goes down into the underworld and gets hung up on a hook by the goddess of death, but she comes back. Jesus gets speared in the side and hung up on a cross and goes down into the grave, but he comes back. You have access to a higher self that is actually indestructible no matter what you've been through and is actually available. It's like all they got to do is just say, hey, Phil Jackson, would you please come back from down there? And he'll come up the the hidden staircase onto the court and all the spotlights will be going crazy. Oh, look, the coach is back. And then he'll suddenly put the team back in order. That's what the myths are talking. That's the like the second birth. That's what it's talking about. 
and it's related to these heavenly cycles. That's why we celebrate certain things at Christmas, the lowest point of the sun when it turns back upwards, and at Easter time, which is geared to the equinox, when we go from the days being shorter to the days being longer. These are all metaphors for that message that you're trying to get out to us. It's a good question. Does that answer make any sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Dave. Spitting into the vat. Thanks. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have said all that if we didn't have the interaction. See, it's like Kavasir is coming up out of the vat because yeah. everybody's spitting into it. So let's look and see some constellations. So the, the, the gods are spitting into a vat. So I want to introduce you to who's the most famous Norse god that everyone's heard of? Thor. Thor. Thank you. Yeah. Thor. So where could he be in the sky? So here's the, the stars. Here's the constellations as I like to outline them. This is the outlining system of the great H.A. Ray, who also, along with his wife Margaret, created, you guys know, right? Did we talk about this before? I don't think so. No. So H.A. Ray and his wife Margaret wrote the, and illustrated the Curious George books. starting in the 1940s. But H.A. Ray also wrote a book called The Stars, A New Way to See Them, and this is his outlining system. So That's right. Yeah. So here are all the stars. And I've left in, just for the time being, I've left in the the planets. You can see the planets going along the line of the zodiac. You can see the sun there. Saturn is to the left as we're facing the screen. Jupiter is way to the left underneath Aquarius. Mercury... Venus has now gone to the morning side of the sun. You can see everything. We're facing south, and we're in the northern hemisphere in this planetarium. So everything is going from the left, that is the east, which east is on our left if we're facing south, to the west, which is on the right. So you can see the moon over there about to set in the west. Go ahead. It's a hell of a half pipe, that, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys like to carve bowls? God no, <laughs> no, <laughs> not once. All about. No, yeah. not once. No. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Carry on. Anyway, well. that's actually supposed to simulate the Earth wrapping around you, like or the the horizon wrapping around you. So the the east is kind of to your left, and the west is to your right. You're supposed to imagine that they're kind of curving around you. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's showing you kind of three dimensionality, like the walls are to your left and right. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's what this, this is Stellarium. This is a free um, open source planetarium app. That's wonderful. I'm going to take out the, the planets in the sun now, just so we can focus on the stars. So there they go. So let's find Thor, which constellation could play the role of Thor. I'm going to outline it right now. So this is the outline of the constellation that we call Hercules. Yeah. And and that's because Hercules is associated with this constellation. Hercules has a big square head or square beard, you know, full beard, just like Ben and uh, Phil. That's the square head of Hercules. He usually plays uh, a character with a full beard, but all the constellations I would just hasten to add can play both male and female figures throughout the myths. But Hercules often plays the most powerful God with the most powerful weapon. And you can see why. Look at the, the mm. posture. It just looks like he's about to chop someone's head off mm. with that big sword. But that sword could also be a club. 
Hercules kind of favors a club. It could be a mace in the myths of ancient India. Characters who use a big mace are usually associated with Hercules. Um, it could also be a thunderbolt, mm. as in the god Zeus. So here's Zeus. Mm. This is actually from ancient pottery. It's an artistic representation of a... But you can actually see this mm-hmm. this particular piece of Greek pottery in a museum in Germany to this day. And the ancient artist or the ancient artist's friend who knew how to write has actually told us this is Zeus with the lettering right there. So look at the posture. Look at Hercules. Clearly deep knee bend, one arm reaching forward, and then holding a powerful weapon overhead. And I've shown this a lot, but I'm going to show why I'm arguing that Zeus is is associated with Hercules, but so is the most powerful weapon-wielding Aesir god, who is Thor. Notice our our days of the week, Thursday is Thor's day, right? Mm -hmm. What is it in Spanish? Do you guys know? No idea. Zeus day? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, it is. That's how you say it in Spanish. (laughs) You say... Oh, it's Zuste. No, they call it Jueves. Jueves. So Jueves with a J, J-U-E-V-E-S, Jueves, is obviously Jove's day. Jove. Jove is Zeus. Jupiter. Jove. Yeah. From Roman. Jove. Yeah. Zu- Jupiter is Zeus Pater, Father Zeus, or Jove is his other name. Yeah. And actually, you guys are in England, so you say bye, Joe. By Joe, yeah. Time, right? nice. by, by Jupiter. Joe. <laughs> by Joe, it is. It, it matches right up. <laughs> so um, let's see a couple other examples, though, from around the world, because I think this is just so uh, yeah. powerful evidence. <clears throat> this is a Maya vessel from the 700 AD or maybe 800 AD or right. nowadays they say CE instead of AD. doesn't matter. This is a god who is a rain god. He's identified as a rain god. His name is Chalk, and he is a rain god. Zeus is, of course, a thunder god. Chalk is a rain god. But look at Chalk. Now, this is from before Columbus, obviously, 700 to 800 AD. Look at Chalk's outline. Look at his posture of his knee. Mm-hmm. Rear heel is raised big axe that he's menacing with instead of a thunderbolt he's got an axe i don't know if you can see it i won't spend too much time on it but the parallels are unmistakable and this is a rain god in the americas based on the same ancient system that's worldwide and are they they still in the northern hemisphere they are they're in uh mayans the the maya were in uh, central america what we today call Central America, um, that that big isthmus that connects North America and South America. So mm-hmm. where Guatemala is, was yeah. a lot of Maya, um, southern parts of Mexico, and uh, that region. Cool. So like around 17 degrees north latitude. So it's closer to the equator. Yeah. And it's a good question um, because Hercules is a pretty northern constellation, right? You can mm. see... You know, all those planets were down kind of near the horizon. That's like the walls of the room. If the Earth is a ball, which I believe it is, in the middle of a room, when you're on the top half of the ball, you can see the ceiling, but you can't see the floor, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. But everyone can see the walls. Everyone can see the walls. The zodiac is along the walls, right along the middle of the walls. 
but Hercules is up near the ceiling. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, so they would have been able to see it even though they were close yeah. to the equator. Yeah, but but this system is worldwide, and so that's the amazing thing is even in Australia, this system is being used somehow. That's going to be a whole whole different podcast, the fact that Australians were using stuff that's related to mythology of the Northern Hemisphere because that the implications of that are huge. Yeah. So we might have to skip that some next time. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't found an Australian myth that actually uses Hercules, but I found one that uses... Um, Aquarius who's on the left side of your screen now that you can see from you can see from Australia it's just upside down you know Um, I've been to Australia and New Zealand and the constellations from my perspective are upside down which again argues that we're actually on a spherical earth but not to um, not to get sidetracked (laughs) it's a great great question you know like where did this come from I think it's a worldwide system that's very very ancient in Australia you know, that culture is so ancient. It's mm. the, the indigenous people of Australia were, you know, their culture goes back tens of thousands of years. So where did this come from? How did this, it's like there was some catastrophe that isolated everybody and pieces of it are left around the world. Well, um, well, just to interject there, because that's yeah. opportune. You've just mentioned about a global catastrophe. Uh, Lena on the YouTube chat has just asked if Norse mythology as a creation story and a flood myth. Well, I think flood myth yes, being more opportunity. It does, it does. It has yeah. both. It has a creation story and it has a flood myth. Wow. And in the flood myth, um, it's two Jotuns actually that survived the flood. Right. Um, so, yes, there is definitely a flood myth and it's in the, uh, the Eddas. And um, there's a cre- it's a beautiful creation story. It's stark and beautiful, kind of like the Norse myths. They have a different flavor from other myths, um, but they for sure have a beautiful creation story and a flood myth. And flood myths are obviously around the world as well. And for sure, this ties in with the evidence around the world of catastrophes. Some of the things we, that Randall Carlson talks about, um, and you know the the younger Dryas impact theory. Also Robert shock talks about coronal mass ejections and um, it's possible that, you know, there was kind of a both catastrophe going on. I mean, it may have made the earth a very difficult place to live and people may have had to even live in an underground caves for a while. If the ground was kind of radioactive because of solar outbursts. Um, But here's another one from ancient India. Now look at up there. This is actually the churning of the ocean of milk. It's like a tug of war that goes on. But the figure that's above, it's Vishnu that's kind of the pivot of the tug of war. But above Vishnu is, in this, this is from uh, Cambodia. This is actually from like, uh, uh, oh, what's that famous Angkor Wat um, area. But this is Indra, the god of rain. And he's actually raining down to give some kind of, to prevent too much friction on the pivot of the, of the universe as it's being churned. You see the tug of war and Indra is raining down, but look at his posture. Mm-hmm. Look at his legs, very exaggerated outline of the same outline of Hercules. Yeah. Is this, is this looking convincing to you guys? Yeah. There's parallels there, isn't there? They're quite, <clears throat> quite and they're all, clear. Yeah. They're all rain gods and, and thunder gods and storm gods 
And what is Thor? Yeah. The Thunderer, right? He's got the hammer of that is like the Thunderbolt hammer. And so let's no. see how this. So sometimes that weapon will be a Thunderbolt, but sometimes it could be a sword or sometimes it could be a club. So I'm going to zoom in on Hercules. These are the stars of Hercules. Mm. And I'm going to outline the sword. Oh, yeah, Hercules. So let me just outline the sword so you can see all the stars that are usually envisioned as this, the outline of the sword. Okay, it can sometimes go, I like to draw it this way because see that star way up at the tip? Sometimes it's kind of drawn more like a club because Hercules likes to hold a club. But now I'm going to show you how it could also be Thor's hammer. So I want to draw your attention to the stars right here mm-hmm. and right here. You see how there's four little stars there? I'm going to outline them. You see that? Yeah. Yep. And, and then that other star that made the tip of the sword, you could draw a line to that, and now you've got the <laughs> hammer. Molnir. Yeah. The Mjolnir, exactly. And so remember how I said this is worldwide. The most powerful god who's often associated with rain and thunder and lightning and the thunderbolt is almost always associated with Hercules worldwide. That's among the Maya. That's among the Norse. That's among the Greeks. That's among ancient India where Indra is the God of rain. And it's also in Africa. This is a God, a very important God of the Yoruba nation, the Yoruba, or sometimes I've heard it pronounced like Jeruba, they have a God who's like the most fearsome and also feared, but powerful God, whose name is Shango. And Shango is a thunder God and a fire God. And his weapon is not a hammer, but if you look at this, this is from the, this is a carving from the 1800s of Shango made in Africa by a member of the Yoruba. You see the axes down by his feet. Yeah, there's two two axes. He has a double headed axe. And in fact, coming out of his head, I think that is a double headed axe above his head there. Mm. So Shango is a thunder god of Africa, of the Yoruba, who has a double headed axe, just like Thor has a hammer, just like, you know, Zeus has a double headed uh, lightning bolt weapon. And another important thing about Shango that will tie back to our story is he is often depicted with fire coming out of his mouth, fire coming out of his mouth. So let's look at Hercules. How could he be envisioned as spitting fire? I'll show you. Usually we envision Hercules, this outline as wielding a big weapon over his head and reaching his arm downward, but see where that arm downward is coming out of. Mm. His head. Yeah. Yeah. He's spitting out. So instead of an arm, that could be this God spitting. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So Shango is always or often depicted as having fire spitting out of his mouth. And so now coming back to our spitting into the vat, if the Aesir gods and the Vanir gods gather around a vat and spit into it, there's Hercules, who is Thor, spitting out of his mouth, into what? Well, the constellation below him, which is... He's got a little cope. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is Ophiuchus. So Ophiuchus is a super important constellation mm. associated with wisdom. A lot of figures associated with Ophiuchus are associated with wisdom. Remember, Kavasir came out of the vat and was so wise, and then the mead came from that. Well, there's Ophiuchus. Could that look like a, a vat in any way? Let's just look at it. It's a triple constellation in some ways. It's got a central body. See, the central body is kind of oblong, like a tombstone shape sure. or an obelisk. Yeah. So that looks like an obelisk. And on either side, he's holding a serpent, mm. the, the two serpent halves. The snake's tail is on the left. The snake's head is on the right. That's how it's usually envisioned. But I have argued, and there's lots of evidence to support me, I, I present in my books and stuff, that sometimes Ophiuchus is envisioned kind of like edge onward. You can envision that like, the, the the two serpent halves making like a bowl or making like a canyon or making a, even a ship like Noah's Ark. Is Noah's Ark always depicted as kind of like a a bowl shape with a house shape in the middle of it? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, see, now can you see the Aesir gods represented by Thor spitting into the vat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see like one on the right. Is that guy? I didn't outline him, but a uh, good catch. That is Boodes, and he looks like he's smoking a pipe. Um, <laughs> and he appears in many different myths, too. But yeah, so it's like everybody just went by and spat into there. And uh, do you see a figure rising up out of the middle of the vat? That's the central body of Ophiuchus. That's oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> and and, right. and uh, the serpent bearer or fucus. I, I mean, the serpent's correlated yeah, to that, wisdom, isn't it? The wise serpent. Yes. yes. So, and and it ties in with the myth up. of him being able to yeah. answer all these questions. It's amazing. Yeah, great, great insight. See, I'm having like, that was a Mr. Miyagi moment when Matt went. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> was that Matt or was that Phil? Probably me. <laughs> it's like a light bulb. <laughs> Boom. Anyway, let's take away that outline because this also plays into Odin going down through the mountain in the form of a serpent. Do you see how there's a serpent with a mountain in the middle of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The central figure of Ophiuchus is often. To, envisioned in different myths as a mountain you can see why or a house it plays a lot of different roles but you see how the, the oh serpent no squiggled through the mountain squiggled through the mountain and, yeah. and he's going towards virgo the virgin the beautiful oh my god i called it i called it <laughs> phil you are on it see we're spitting into this vat and just wisdom is just <laughs> rising out <laughs> So there's Virgo, the beautiful maiden, and and out pops the little snake. You see the little snake's head pops out. Hi there. (laughs) (laughs) Hi there, lonely maiden inside this mountain. Now, um, Virgo is is an obvious potential uh, constellation to be Gunlov, the beautiful daughter of the Jotun. But there's another one, too, over here. This is a constellation that also often plays a beautiful goddess or a beautiful maiden. And this is the constellation Sagittarius. And this is the way H.A. Ray outlines it. We're getting close to the end. I know this is going kind of long, but um, this is just, I think, is so fun Mm -hmm. and so amazing. And Virgo and Sagittarius often play two female figures that act kind of in conjunction with one another. So I almost... I'm almost inclined to think that um, Sagittarius might be Gunlov 
as well. Uh, because when Odin changes himself back into his Odin self, he's, Odin is associated with Ophiuchus. And I won't go into that, but Odin's, the one way to understand it is Odin's weapon, unlike Thor, who has a hammer, anyone know what Odin has? We saw it in the picture, actually. Uh, uh, he has a spear, spear. Oh, a yeah. spear that never misses. And when he holds that spear over one side in a battle, then that side is going to be defeated. Um, he has a special spear. It has a special name. I think it's Gungnir or something like that. It starts with a G, but uh, now I've exposed my ignorance by not exactly remembering. I wasn't planning on talking about it. But anyway, when he's talking, when Odin turns back into his Odin self and starts talking to the maiden, you can see how Ophiuchus and Sagittarius are kind of talking to each other. And she's almost holding... Sagittarius usually envisioned as holding a bow, but maybe she's holding a, you know, big pitcher of beer there. And Odin's like, Hey, (laughs) let's, let's, let's party. uh, Dave, um, where's Aquila? Is it Aquila the Eagle? Yeah, you are. The wisdom is just flowing. So right above Sagittarius is the Eagle of Aquila. So as soon as Odin has, drank his fill and had his fill of love, he turns himself into an eagle and flies away. So that's another argument that Sagittarius might be Gunloth because she's looking up like, ah, there goes the eagle, yeah. just like in that picture. Yeah. Wow. And then Sutung says, dang it, that eagle's making off with my mead, and I bet you just slept with my daughter too. And he takes... He puts on his eagle suit and flies yeah. after him. So we got two great birds in the Milky Way. This is the <laughs> constellation Cygnus, the swan. So you have kind of two winged figures in the Milky Way. And these are big constellations. The, the, the planetarium app on your screen doesn't really do it justice. But you can see that they are flying kind of towards one another. Um, but you could envision Cygnus as you know, spitting out the mead (laughs) instead of having a long neck, it could be, Mm. you know, a stream of chewing tobacco coming out of the mouth of Cygnus, the swan. So that's where I think the mead comes down to earth or gets spit down to Valhalla, I mean, not Valhalla, down to Asgard. And there's the Milky Way. Mm. There's the Milky Way. So that is uh, just a taste of some of the, (laughs) the stars in the myths um, from the Norse mythology. It's a super important myth. It's a super fun myth. A lot of the Norse myths, you know, but it's also tragic. I mean, Odin, uh, in the Hauvamal, which means the sayings of the high one, Odin, it's the sayings of Odin from the Edda, the elder Edda, the poetic Edda, not Snorri's Edda, the poetic one. We don't know who wrote it. There's a line in there that says, Odin, you know, betrayed Gunlov. Who can ever trust him again? Odin always feels bad for betraying. He uses lies sometimes and breaks his word sometimes in order to get what he wants. Like to get the horse Sleipnir, they have to betray this Jotun whose name is Ragnar, actually. Um, They betray this and they betray their word they cheat him out of his, his wages. And um, Odin is the one who agonizes over that. He says, no one's going to trust us. We've broken our words. There's something tricky about Odin. Odin is associated with wisdom, but also 
there's something tricky about him. In fact, he's blood brothers with Loki. Loki's not his natural brother, but they cut a vein in their hands and they, you know, or their wrists and let their blood flow together. And Loki and Odin are blood brothers. And that's why Odin never lets Thor kill Loki. Um, wow. Right. So, so I thought he yeah, was his so, son, his stepson, but that's Marvel lying to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's not much left of the Norse myths. There's just those two Edda uh, sources, Edic sources. There's a few other poems here and there. Um, so there's lots of room for poetic license. But, uh, yeah. but anyway, that's uh, that's some Norse myths for you in, in response to your request. What do you think? <laughs> what, what do you guys want to? Yeah, I, I'll just show you. Oh, 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 I wanted to mention this. Uh, I'll, I'll stop screen sharing in one second. This is from Olaf's saga, which was written in the 1200s. There's a king named Olaf Tryggvason of Norway, and he converted Norway to Christianity basically by the sword and by torture and by threatening people. Okay, you can either get baptized or I can heat this, you know, hot spike up in iron and put it through your head. Which one do you want? Uh, in some, so in the, in the, in the, in the saga of Olaf Tryggvason, you know, many of the Viking chieftains said, I'll take this spike and, you know, make it hurt as much as you can. Cause there's no way you're going to baptize me. But some of them obviously changed to. And so in this saga, uh, Olaf has this Viking ship that he took from a, a predecessor named Rod, the strong R A U D Raud the strong. And um, one day he's sailing along the coast and there's a, a man standing on the cliff and he says, Hey, hey, hold on. Let me, let me uh, ride with you. And they take him on board. And so this is uh in the story, Olaf is sailing his longship along the coast. This man says, the man is described in the, this is in Olaf's saga, as strong and handsome with a red beard. He comes aboard, he starts to joke and wrestle with the crew, and he easily beats anyone who wrestles with him. He's like a jolly guy, but anyone who tries to wrestle with him, he's like, that, jujitsu. And uh, then he starts to say, you know, this is pathetic. You, you, <laughs> you crew of this ship and you King Olaf, you make me sad. You're not worthy to even have this ship. This ship used to belong to Rod, the strong who worshiped the old gods. And you're just a pathetic excuse for <laughs> his successors. And then the stranger starts telling a story. He says, you know, I remember in the past, there were two giants who were terrorizing this land that you now have King Olaf. Your land used to be, beset by these two giants and they were straightening the people, which means imposing austerity, making them, you know, do without privation. And then the stranger says they called on the red beard to come save them. And then the stranger says, this is right from the, I put the quote there. It's kind of hard to see because I made it kind of blend in with the clouds. So I grasped my hammer and I slew them both, the giants. And the people have continued to call upon me for aid since that day, O king, until now, since you've so wasted all my friends in a way that merits vengeance. And then the poem says, the stranger dove into the ocean, the freezing North Sea, and swam away and was never seen again. And so they realized, oh, that must have been Thor. And he wasn't happy that Olaf had converted everyone to Christianity and now nobody calls upon the gods. And he says, you know, in the past when the giants were 
wasting the people or straightening the people or imposing austerity on the people, starving out the people, they would call on the gods and we would help them. But now I'm just going to dive into the sea and, and swim away since you and your pathetic crew have driven us out. It's a sad like reminiscence of something that's been lost. And I think it really speaks to our age when austerity is being imposed on the people. You know, this whole COVID thing was an austerity exercise. The whole Klaus Schwab, you know, I just made a little video with Klaus Schwab who says, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. (laughs) You know, the whole neoliberal agenda is let the people do without uh, less and less for the people. You know, you need to pay more and more for your water and your electricity and you have to drive a car with a smaller and smaller engine and pretty soon you won't even be able to fill up at the gas station anymore we want you to do with less and less and the enemies of austerity was the old system was about uplifting the people the new system is about traumatizing the people and thor is saying you guys have chosen the wrong path see ya so we'll end on that note. <laughs> so I do talk about the Norse myths. Here's my uh, Norse mythology book. It's Star Myths of the World, Volume 4. That, I wrote that one in 2018. So I've written a couple others since then, but there's a bunch in there. And then uh, here's my last slide. I do have the Undying Stars Academy. I believe this is all about recovery of self. That mead of poetry is about being able to hear the gods. The way we hear the gods is through that higher self, that, you know, I've said the Phil Jackson figure in this metaphor that I've kind of introduced it with, but that's how, you know, when a musician says, I don't know where that song came from. It just came to me like from the gods. It's a flash because yeah, flash of inspiration. Yeah. That's our higher self is how we hear the, the voice of the gods. And that's how the meat of poetry helps us to hear the voice of the gods in the Norse myths. And, and that, is related to coming back back to higher self. So let me just stop share so that we're all back. We're back in our pub, spitting into our vat. That was cool. I mean, that was like one, like one myth basically. And there was so (laughs) many parallels to the other things we've seen with the zoos and, and other things. Uh, One thing that um, struck me, I don't know if this is a thing or not, but you know, Odin has one eye. And yeah. um, uh, Horus famously only had mm. one eye because he lost his eye battling his uncle Set to avenge Osiris. Mm-hmm. Is That's that the right. same thing going on? Is it the same story, basically? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I have argued... So I have a book called Ancient Worldwide System that came out in 2019, and uh, that goes through myths of different cultures of the world. I have a couple from Australia in there. I have a couple from Africa and I do a lot of Egyptian myths in there. And, um, I will just share the screen real quick at the risk of going off. And I won't, I won't take long. Let me just show, um, Hercules and Ophiuchus again. Seeing all your porn hub tabs now. <laughs> yeah. <on> screen. <laughs> this is not your yeah, laptop. Phil. <laughs> no, um, uh, I forgot everything I was going to say for some reason. <laughs> There's Hercules. I argue that Horus is actually associated with Hercules, with his falcon head, his kind of a square-shaped head. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and Set is associated with Ophiuchus, interestingly enough. Now, 
you would think, oh, well, Fucus, I thought he was a good figure, you know, wisdom and everything. And wisdom figures are associated with Ophiuchus um, quite a lot. But also, you know, characters with a big sickle will be Ophiuchus. Can you see on the left side as we're facing it how he's holding a big sickle? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or Inanna, when she goes down to the underworld, she gets hung up on a hook. Inanna is Ophiuchus, and there's the hook sticking out of her back that she gets hung up in yeah. the underworld on. Yeah. Um, but if Ophiuchus is set and he rips out Horus's eye, where would that be? Look on the other side from the hook. The snake's head. The snake's head looks like an eye that's in the hand of Ophiuchus. Ophiuchus reached up and said, wow. hey, 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 nephew, <laughs> you can, I'm going to rip your eye out. And then it also says. He's reaching <laughs> after it. Say, give me my eye back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot of kind of graphic detail in the battle of Set and Horus. Or and there's an ancient. Egyptian texts called the contendings of Set and Horus and all these kind of bizarre things that happen in that text can be explained pretty well with Hercules and Ophiuchus. But it's a great question um, because the one eye, you know, Odin loses his eye in order to get wisdom. Odin's always looking for wisdom and that he has to trade it for uh, a Jotun named Mimir who gets his head cut off. I think it has to do with Odin being associated actually with Sagittarius. I should have kept going. Um, So Odin is often associated with Hercules, I mean, Ophiuchus, but sometimes with Sagittarius and Sagittarius has one eye and Sagittarius also has what looks like a rope coming up off the top of his head. And Odin is the hanged God. And they used to do human sacrifices where they tie a rope around someone's neck and throw him into a peat bog or something to sacrifice him to the hanged God. And you can yeah. see it in the constellations. Does and they it, talk about it in that book, but it's a great question. I think it is celestial. I'm not sure it's exactly the same as set in Horus, but it's related. What are you going to say, Mark? No, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure there's, there's a preserved body somewhere in, in Norway or um, yeah. around there with, like that base that they found, found him. Um, yeah, from around yeah. that around that kind of period, isn't there? Like perfectly preserved, like mummy. Perfectly five. preserved. I mean, it's 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 like he's you know still alive. Like his skin is perfect. Yeah. Pete, I've got a whole book on it with pictures. There's several of them, mm. not all in that great of a state of preservation, mm. and they're like you know glossy photographs of all these, and yeah. they're frightening looking. But if you want your body to be really well preserved, <laughs> you could request, you know, the peat bog uh, treatment. Peat bog. I was going to get frozen like Walt Disney. Yeah, there's always that. Your brain frozen. <laughs> yeah. I think what hit me with that, with what, what you went through there, was sort of like the de- depiction of the Milky Way. And you could see mm. sort of like with the right vista how um, that would sort of seem like it was kind of hitting the Earth at nighttime, wouldn't it, I suppose, yeah. across the horizon. Yeah. And an explanation for that, I thought that was uh, really interesting, really. Yeah, for sure. That's a great observation. I mean, I think the the two the two great birds that are in the Milky Way, and then one of them spits out the mead that's coming to Earth, that could be, mm. you know, the Milky Way itself, uh, potentially. But the Milky Way the plays sea. a role in, mm. a super important role in so many myths. Yeah. Yes. Good Dave, can I can I ask you about the courses? Because I've not done any online courses or anything like that. What 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 can you expect? Like when you sign up, how does it work sort of practically? 
And do you get Good a trophy? Question. Do you get a trophy at the end? Um, no. <laughs> Did Mister Miyagi out. give out trophies? Come on, man. <laughs> you get to spit in a bowl. I asked him, "What kind of belt do you have?" He said, "Canvas." <laughs> <laughs> Reconnecting with your higher self is what we're after here. Um, no, it's a good. I appreciate the question. Um, so I have two courses right now, and these are like the foundational courses, but it's all centered around this concept of reconnecting with self and the myths are talking about it, but to hear the myths, we've got to understand the celestial language, kind of what I was laying out and how the, and how the heavens actually work. Like what are the equinoxes and what are the solstices and what is procession and what about the Milky Way? So the Milky Way itself, we're, it's like a giant ring that's turning and we're inside of it. And it's actually the galaxy itself that we're inside and we're turning and the galaxy is flipping past us like a fried egg that we're inside of and we're turning. And so it's like the fried egg is flipping. So I, I describe it and I kind of illustrate it with, you know, some animated slides, just like I did here. And they're about 40 minutes long each lesson. And there's like 11 lessons in the, there's one called celestial mechanics in the myths. And there's one called recovering our deeper self. And that one's about six lessons. Uh, so they're slightly different in length, but like one is like 11 hours long and one is like eight hours long. Wow. So they're $50 US dollars each. It's not a subscription. You just pay, you get the course, then you can watch it for as long as I'm able to keep it on there, which is, you know, indefinitely, yeah. but at least a year. <laughs> uh, like if something happens to me, it'll stay up there for at least a year. but uh, hopefully it'll be up there, you know, forever. Um, so uh, $50, you get the whole course and you can watch it as many times as you want, but it's me talking and presenting just like I just did with you guys. And um, they're about like 40 minutes each. So it's like going to a college class on astrotheology and the myths and always trying to tie it back to how you apply it to your life. And this is this is the, what I love about what you're doing is because it's as, as interesting as it is to see all these ancient myths and how they're linked and, and everything, and that's fascinating, and all oh, the Egyptians thought this and the Greeks thought that. <laughs> oh, and that's similar, isn't it? But the fact <laughs> is that you, you can explain how to apply it, why, why it's applicable, and this is what's important about what you're doing and your books like Astral Theology for Life, which I read last year, the year before, I can't remember. And uh, that's the whole point of it, as well as just being interesting. Yeah. The stuff is relevant and applicable, and that's what I, I love about what you do, to be honest. Well, thank you for that, and thank you for reading that book, and thank you for that saying that, because it is, it's ancient wisdom that was given to all of our ancestors, no matter where on earth we're from, for their benefit in this world, for their blessing in this world, and it's been you know, forgotten or stamped out or um, obscured deliberately or accidentally or however it happened. Uh, but I am convinced it's for this very present moment that we're in right this instant. And it's so, it has, it has changed my life. It really has changed my life. I, like I said, at the beginning, I wasn't looking for this, but uh, I was kind of like led into it or stumbled into it. And it's changed it's changed. Even my politics has changed radically, <laughs> uh, you know, 
everything has changed about my life from this. And I'm still learning. I don't hold myself up as, oh, you know, I'm the guru. Listen to what I say. Mm -hmm. I try and point people to the myths. And if you can listen to them, they'll talk to you. That's better than me talking to you. Or, hey, Dave, what do you think this means? Well, I think it means this, but what do you care about what I think? Ask your higher self. That's the teacher. But you got to like know the language to be able to go to the myths. The problem is the language has been forgotten. It's a celestial language like what I was showing you. So once we learn the language, we can go to the myths and say, hey, what are you actually saying? Not what does this intermediary tell me that you're saying? And I don't even know if that intermediary speaks to the language. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, 50 bucks. What's that? 30 quid, 30 yeah, pounds? Absolute yeah. bargain. That's yeah. a birthday present territory, that. <laughs> not, to, not to drop any hints. Mine's at the end of next month, yeah, you know. You. <laughs> Anyone listening out there wants to get me on a course? 30 spondoolies. 50 bucks. <laughs> 30 spondoolies. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, we could talk all night, but. You know, you've got, yeah. like, the rest of your day to get on with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my dog is like, no more long podcasts. <laughs> let, let me go. Well, what kind of dog uh, have no, you got, I, Dave? Say again? What kind of dog have you got? Oh, yeah, I've got a uh, Australian dog, so he's crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's a dingo, isn't it? <laughs> a blue he healer. Party. He's a healer. So yeah. some, sometimes they call him a Queensland healer. We call him a blue healer or a red healer over here based on the color. This one's a blue healer. He's actually a blue healer lab slash lab, but I don't think he got any lab <laughs> brains Aww. or personality. He just got healer. Nice. Yeah, how about you guys? I've got a, a cocker spaniel uh, puppy uh, and um, I, you've got I, something. <laughs> I've got something, yeah. I, I adopted a dog in March, and funnily enough, his name is Zeus. <laughs> Ooh, very good. That's the name, and I didn't pick it. That's the name he came with. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Zeus is his name. That's great. Well, that reminds me in the Odyssey, there's a famous reunion scene where Odysseus finally comes home and his dog is the only one who recognizes him. (laughs) He comes home from the Trojan War after, at the war for 10 years, then it took him 10 more years to get home (laughs) fighting the Cyclops and, you know, making love to Calypso every night. And he finally gets home and nobody recognizes him. He's in disguise, but his dog comes up. His dog's name is Argo. He wags his tail or no, his dog is so, so old and tired that he's just like, he was a puppy when Odysseus went off to the war, but now He's just lying out in front of the gates of his house, neglected, you know, lying in the dust. He only has enough strength to, like, raise his head up and wag his tail, and then he dies. Oh. But, but he recognized the disuse. Oh. He recognized the disuse. Okay, Matt, what's your dog? Um, I have 20 fish. <laughs> All named after mythical characters, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's really difficult to get the leash on. <laughs> well that reminds me of fish called wanda <laughs> oh i need to go and watch that film again i've not watched that film for 20 years that deserves a rewatching i think Definitely. yeah yeah no it's an absolute pleasure talking with you gentlemen you too really dave thank you very much having me back on no I, I you know i always say podcasters are so important i couldn't get my message out there without podcasters the the regular media is certainly not covering no. subjects like this. Um, so, you know, you guys are out there trying to figure out the truth. We're all spitting into this vat, and uh, we just want Kavassier to show up. 
Yeah. Uh, sooner the better. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. excellent. Good place to end. And uh, thanks again for joining us, Dave. Um, the website's up there on the screen if you're watching yeah. starmythworld.com. Otherwise, check the show notes and uh, you'll find links to Dave's books. Uh, Dave, where's the best place? If people want your books, where's the best place to get them? Well, <laughs> I hesitate to say Amazon, but they'll give you free shipping. That's the best place to get them. You can get an autographed one from my uh, from my website, but the shipping is horrendous. <laughs> it's also because of this austerity plan that yeah. these giants that, yeah. you know, Thor would take care of it, but we've got the giants running amok right now. So to ship the book to England costs, you know, like twice as much as the book itself. But uh, Amazon UK, you can get what like Brookwater or something. There's a bunch of just, um, it's distributed worldwide. So what is that water? Waterstones, yeah. Waterstones, yeah. They sell a lot of my books. Cool. Um, oh, you nice. can get it through yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, Amazon. Grab or, some, or grab some. Ask your well. local bookstore to get it. They can yeah. get it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we're going to have to do this again soon, Dave. Stay on the line for us while we play ourselves out. And, uh,. If you watch it on the live stream, we'll be back. We're going to have a break in uh, for 10 or 15 minutes and we'll come back for part two and do some news and uh, yeah. some silly shit. <laughs> right. Peace out. See you in a bit. All right, then we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That was our chat with Dangerous Dave Matheson. Legend. Big, the big D. <laughs> the big D from Cali. That was great. I loved the... Uh, we did one star myth. In, nice. an, in just under two hours. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But it tied in with like all the other Star Myth stuff we've done. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's always I enjoyed uh, it. Yeah, it's a bit weird that it's not sort of a bit more mainstream that kind of idea. And why, why is it not? Why hasn't? Why have not watched a Channel Four documentary about this? It was for millions of years. Roman Catholic years. Church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's you know it's sort of it's pagan, isn't it? Yeah. Pre the before times. Yeah. Uh, can't have that. No. no. Not on the BBC. It's Inqui- Inquisition. <laughs> yeah. And such. Mm. Roman hegemonic. Mm. Give it a couple hundred years, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it might come back. Yeah. I've gone back to the year 2007. Oh, what are you doing there? And listening to Big Mike Duncan's Rome podcast oh you've started the history of rome podcast yeah how how far along have you got what are you up to um some names that come into my head are manliness (laughs) manly manly camilla camillus that's quite early it's (laughs) really sure you're listening to the right podcast (laughs) yes have you have you got do you mean marius I think he's pronounced it. He definitely pronounces it manly something. Manliness. Manliness. <laughs> Manliness. What uh, period are you in? Are you in the period of the kings or the republic? Or um, So the kings are definitely gone. Kings have gone. Um, consuls. Yeah. And um, it's just been sacked by the Gauls and destroyed. Right. So you're about 400 BC, 350, 400 BC then. I think. And I'm pretty sure that that Camilla guy... Like was like consul five times, right? It? And he, um, like, he, he, last time when he was like in his eighties, and he came back and saved them. I thought everyone died by the age of thirty in those days. Well, no, and then like there's another consul that was a hundred. Um, I, I don't know if that's the manly, but they all seem to, um, they all seem to um, 
like be a hero for the city and then they all get exiled because, you know, they start getting too big for the boots or something. So right. it seems to be a common kind of theme, a lot of them. Right. So you're in the early Republic era then. Kings have gone. Yeah, I think the last one I was listening to is the plebes have finally got a a consul. No, are they called a consul? Assembly? I don't know, like the, the two people, that, so they have to have a plebe. Oh, the Tribune. A, yeah, Tribune, that's it. So they have to have a, a plebe and a patrician. Tribune of the plebs? Yeah. Oh, all right. You get into the night, the the intrigue, the bit, the late Republican era is what's really interesting when you get to the Gracchi brothers and Garius Marius and Sulla and uh, the tribunes of the plebs and all the political intrigue. I have no idea of the words you speak. No studies, but I thought it's it's been very interesting and a lot of the times I've not wanted to stop listening to it, but I've had to. And the bite size, aren't they? Are they about half an hour, each one, at most? I, th- I think some of them, yeah. So some of them, are, I think like the first one's like eight minutes, 30 minutes, but a lot of them, yeah, under 40 minutes, I would say. Um, if you enjoy the late Republican era, he <coughs> went on, Mike Duncan went on to write a book mm. after he finished the history of Rome called The Storm Before the Sword, which is concentrated on that late Republican era, the sort of the 200 years before Julius Caesar from the Carthaginian Wars to the fall of the Republic, and yeah. uh, it's good. It's just a shame that you're not familiar with manly manliness. No, I don't remember. <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, don't remember. Don't remember manly. Manly P. Hall. <laughs> manly. Ancient. Shall I give you... Manliness. Shall I give you an update on my internet banking dongle? Yes, please do. Dongle gate. Uh, nothing yet. Oh, thanks. A letter. <laughs> I um I wanted to tell my missus about the saga. Yeah. And rather than relive the trauma of mm. explaining the story again, I played her the video from last week of me oh. re- retelling the story. And what did she say? She said, uh, that's a bit racist. <laughs> yeah, I thought she would, yeah. Because yeah. oh, of the voices. I did a, a voice, yeah. Yeah. You did a Newcastle voice though as well. Yeah. And a Scouse. Yeah. And she didn't go that far, she just... Uh, play the whole yeah, video. I just played it's it. Taken out of context. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, nothing yet on the old internet banking. Um, I was listening to the latest Jordan B. Peterson video, and oh, yeah? uh, I think we're maybe kindred spirits because um, he opened his latest video with this story. I spent more than three hours on the phone last weekend trying to get through to the online security department of one of Canada's major banks. <laughs> one of my accounts was shut down because I had the effrontery to sign in from Alberta, an event too unexpected for the bank's security systems. I was placed on hold interminably, subjected all the while to the corporate world's idea of music to soothe me. <laughs> I was then offered a call back which I duly received 45 minutes later. Then I was placed on hold again and again and again. This all occurred after my patients had already been exhausted in the aftermath of trying to fly in Canada. I think he got off lightly. I don't think he was on hold as long as me. I I thought that was an interesting synchronicity. It was, wasn't it? The next Jordan Peterson episode video I watched. He's been spitting in the bowl. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to flap his arms harder if he's having trouble flying in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, the last story, you know, we talked about COVID dick last week. Yeah. I remember that guy. Sad story. (laughs) I 
people having erectile dysfunction and shrunken penises post-COVID infection. Yeah. Well, the next day, in my email account, <laughs> I got two emails asking about penis extension. Oh. Stop clicking on it, then. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking thing is listening. Oh, yeah. What? I don't... No, they got through the spam filter. It's like, just randomly, within six hours, and then within ten hours of recording, two emails about penis extension. Wow. Riddle me that. How many do you normally get? None! <laughs> That's the point. Oof. Right, okay. Did you not get any? No, but I did get spammed. Like, some weird, you know, like, you know, things, click on, click on the link. Yeah. Sexy ladies. One of those. <laughs> in your area mm. North Korea I imagine yeah they are listening despite what people say yeah so anyway check out starmythworld.com <laughs> yeah and, uh, find some info out and sign up for the courses I'm going to ask for my birthday's ending next month I'm going to ask for that for a present to get right. on one of the courses I think right interesting something to do yeah you haven't yeah yes, I'm sure you've got a spare 11 hours in the week that's it. Well, yeah, I have, because I don't watch telly. Yeah. How much TV do you watch a week? Oh, not a great deal. Until maybe three hours. <laughs> three hours of TV, is that it? A week, yeah. I don't know how long during the day. That's only if there's a couple of shows. Maybe we'll watch. What are you doing for the other time? Just like sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> the biphasic sleeping. Work, sending emails. Oh the God. household uh, TV watching is is probably far more massive than that. Right. I probably watch more of TV than that, you know. Yeah, yeah he's talking shit. I watch three probably, hours a week. Probably a, co- a good couple of hours a night, I would say. TV's never off in our house. Oh, yeah, what? yeah, but you're not watching it, are you? No. You said how much TV do I watch? What did you watch last week? You watched a couple of episodes of Toast of London. Right, Toast of London. You don't watch Boba Fett? Not last week, I've not watched it yet. Three and four I'm up to. Three and four I need to watch. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, next week, man. That's good. Three hours, hours. that's that's (laughs) nothing. I work a lot. What about you, Matt? How much TV do you watch a week? A couple of hours, I'd probably say, a night. But I have increased my, my reading... Output as well. I think two hours a night is good. If you can get down to two hours a night. Yeah, I normally, read, I normally watch telly from about eight till ten. What time do you normally get down from putting the kids to bed? Um, between like half seven and eight. Yeah. Oh, early. And, so. Yeah, and then uh, TV goes on, fire, fire and TV. Um, sometimes I might read for a little bit first and then watch some television. Depends so, what's on. Otherwise you're too tired after you. Well, sometimes, sometimes I'll read... When I go up to bed, if I feel like it as well, but I also now I've there's a there's a stolen half an hour in when tea's done, it's finished, and I've managed to tidy up the the kitchen as you go, like you do. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'm not. <laughs> cook, you should do. I'm not. Cook, I never really cook tea at all. Do you not have the staff to do that? Um, hopefully soon, and um, so I tidy it up. And I, if I can get that done by six, that gives me half an hour before I have to go and put the bath on. Bath at half six. 
So I've got half now there, so I can read like 10, 10 to 15 pages, depending on the size of the typeface. Yeah. Yeah. When do you find the time to water the fish? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the water in the fish pond has been evaporating at an alarming rate. I don't know, do you think water evaporates quicker when the... <laughs> The air temperature is significantly... So, like, when it's, like, zero and I can see steam rising out of the fish pond because it's, like, between 15 and 20 degrees C, do you think it evaporates quicker then? Or does it evaporate, do you think, at a constant rate? I definitely don't think it's a constant rate. Right, okay. I definitely think there will be a definitive answer. <laughs> However, I, I don't know what that answer is. No, you're is. not going to... I reckon when it's colder... It evaporates quicker, but I'm not sure. The other thing as well that I figured out why the water was disappearing from the pond, and this happened on a particularly windy evening, was um, I have one of those, you know, a water pump with a feature, and it and it creates a fountain, a silent water fountain. It's like um, almost like an orb that comes out of the water, but you can't really hear it. And I came down one night when it was windy, one morning and it was just blowing the water from this orb just out of the pond everywhere basically also it's not evaporating well yeah so so what i've done now i've had to unscrew the thing that makes it into an orb so it just trickles down its pipe (laughs) but it's still been evaporating but not as a quicker rate Basically. Fucking, they sound like such fucking hard work, don't they? Yeah. These fish. I, mean, I thought it was hard work walking a dog twice a day. It's like, no, you know, that's easy. I get to switch off and just listen to an audio book mm. or a podcast. I'm not fretting over what the air temperature is. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. I've just had to put the. Uh, it's just, I've got, it's all It's all fine, basically. Um, it's fine. Oh. I've got to clean the, the pump month to month. That's it, really. It's supposed to change the water as well, but fuck them. They're like, they're breeding like fish yeah there's loads of them right let's do some housekeeping <laughs> otherwise unless you look like you're gonna add something ben i was i was gonna say i would think that the evaporation rate would be more <laughs> in a higher temperature a higher external temp- temperature in the, in the air particles but i don't know i don't want to die on that hill right okay housekeeping <laughs> housekeeping Housekeeping. <coughs> this is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. So, uh, lots of ways of doing this. Word of mouth is my favourite way. If you um, know someone who's into podcasts, send them a link. Spotify link, YouTube link, whatever. Um, if you're in Discord and you're in multiple Discord channels, post some links there if you feel they're relevant to other discord channels it's other ways of this sort of osmotic process of getting the word out so that we can get more producers on board more support Mm. and uh, grow the audience help us get great guests like dave matheson absolutely keep the ball rolling come and spit Mm. in our vats (laughs) spit on us (laughs) it's my favorite way of uh, becoming a producer Spitting into the vat. Yeah, Phil's already said my favourite way, which is uh, guest suggestions. Um, you know, what's your favourite way, Ben? I think it's probably purchasing some uh, apparel from the Amish loot chest. Sh- uh, link in the show notes for that. 
There is, yes. Yeah, if you want a current great T-shirt, literally a communist hoodie, three days to flatten the earth T-shirt, do they're we, all available at the merch store. Do we still have a put-on-your-muzzle face mask? Yeah, not for long, though, hopefully. Yeah. Thursday, yeah. Yeah. No, more, no more muzzles in the UK. Do interesting we, uh, to see how many people still keep wearing them. Mm. Also, oh, the clown has told me I don't need to wear them anymore, so I'll stop. <laughs> the, um, That's what happened last time. Do we accept um, merch requests, as in, you know, do us a mug or something? Uh, not really. I mean, you can design. Like, uh, the three weeks to flatten the earth design was made by Lee from the Big Conspire podcast. Yep. He sent us that. Yeah. He slapped it on the T-shirt. Uh-huh. So if you're an artistic type, yeah, you can, uh, you can send us um, ideas for artwork for merch or show artwork. We have different show artwork every week. We do. And uh, the Discord, you can put that in if you want to. If you've got a, a square picture of artwork that you think fits the themes of the show, Square Ben. So if you're in the Discord, you get a sneak preview of who's coming on the following week. So on Monday, you would have had a message saying Dave Matheson's coming on, and then you could submit artwork via the Discord or the email mm-hmm. if you wanted. So while we're doing that, should we check out the artwork for episode? Yeah. Are we on two sixteen? Two sixteen. I made something. I think it's particularly tasteful, this one. Oh. Here it comes in. It's just getting... Oh, there we are. Oh, that's nice. There's a... Uh... Oh, it's the... It's the spitty handprints in oh, the cave. Yes. yeah. In the background. And then we've got the Big Dipper or the Plow, depending on how you see it. And... Or the Dan Bear. Or the Bear. And then... Um, what's that down the bottom? Orion. Ryan, the bottom, yeah, and the Milky Way kind of superimposed over the top. Mm. I think that's pretty tasteful. I that. think it looks really nice, and it fits in with the themes. We've got the ancient cave art there. You know, it's harkening back to you know this is a an ancient worldwide system that mm-hmm. has been with us since the dawn of time yeah. when people were sitting around in caves at night. That's the only thing they don't have fucking screens, tablets, <laughs> TVs. They had that thing up there to look at, and they didn't have light pollution. They could see the Milky Way every night. Yeah, mm. three hours a week looking up. <laughs> <laughs> and they tell you, tell, you know, tell stories around the fire, these myths, these oral traditions passed down generation after generation. And uh, mm. I thought that I've, I've, I've sort of encapsulated it very tastefully there. Can we start that now, or are we just, we're too ruined? No one could start a, well, I suppose you could. We could all just sit around a fire and tell some tell some mad stories but we'd be influenced by our environs wouldn't we surely we're all a product of our what environment aren't we yeah oh, phil's lost his quill so we'd just be um telling each other about the latest episode of gogglebox <laughs> what say uh, we need a youtube uh hook for this episode with dave what do you think uh is odin um, Zeus, something Zeus. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> something, something Zeus. Yeah, something, something Zeus. Uh, <laughs> um. Ancient worldwide system? Question mark? Or confirmed? Right, <laughs> food for thought, but T H O R T. Thought. With a dash T. <laughs> well, my mine is winning so far. Ancient yeah. worldwide system confirmed. Oh, it has to be like a YouTube, a horrendous YouTube hook. Clickbait, yeah. 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 Uh, Underlying myth. I don't know. Something worldwide myth. 
What about local girls in your area? <laughs> <laughs> Solved. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Let's make that disappear. Yeah, YouTube artwork. Uh, focus cheer requests. If you have, uh, if you have an issue in your life, yeah. a relationship, work relationship that's gone wrong. Uh, maybe you have a, a gambling issue. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just any issue, health issue, and you require our podcast community to focus on maybe maybe you're at the crest of a wave and you want that to continue that good feeling to continue and you you want some focused chi to uh to support that that ride yeah there's the a greatness. thread there's a dedicated thread in the discord to drop your focused chi requests we haven't got any this week so uh get them in and we will concentrate our chi in your direction and play a funny jingle at the same time which is the main point um <laughs> Give it away, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just thinking time. It creates thinking time. What else? Um, Odyssey? Yeah, subscribe and like us. Uh, leave yeah. us a review. Fucking YouTube. Oh, are you going to say are you saying that now or later? Save it, save it. Are you saying it now or later? We'll say it, we'll say it now. Go um, so. <laughs> oh, dear. Um... We don't get a lot of views on YouTube. No. Now then, uh, late uh, earlier in the week, Wednesday or Thursday, I want to say, we got a message in our Discord from NYP, New York Patriot, for their latest video on BitChute. Mm-hmm. And I uh, clicked on it. I thought, bloody hell, they're doing all right. They've got a good following here, 700 and some followers. Videos are doing well. Mm-hmm. And I was summiting back in, did we ever have a BitChute channel? I can't mm-hmm. remember. Went to BitChute, searched for Armist Inquisition, and a video came up, and it was uh, Ken Ami from over a year ago. And it started coming back to me. I'd set the channel up, set the channel up, I'd uploaded the first video. It was a pain in the fucking dick. There was a a mechanism for linking your YouTube channel so that when you upload to YouTube, it would automatically mirror it on BitChute. That broke, never worked. So I fucked it off because it was like one more job to do a week. So I didn't, didn't bother. Anyway, kind of me videos there and it's got 87 views or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see how it's doing on YouTube. I clicked on YouTube. Same video, uploaded, updated on the same time with the same thumbnail. 70 views. Mm-hmm. It's got 87 on BitChute and 70 on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't YouTube supposed to be the biggest video platform in the world? Well, yeah. So that means there's more videos on it. What? More competition. And are you going to have the same audience on YouTube that's on BitChute? That's the only defense I've got. Right. So I thought, well, let's experiment. Friday morning before I went to work, I set up a lot of browser tabs and uploaded about eight videos, set them off, mm-hmm. uploaded. Came back at dinner time um, and they'd all gone up. 15 views, 20 views, 10 views, mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, with no subscribers to start with either. <laughs> and um, I thought, oh, they're getting views mm-hmm. in half a day, less. Mm-hmm. And um, the last time I checked, like earlier today, we'd got we'd got five subscribers out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I started uploading from the last episode. Mm-hmm. I've got down to about 197 Mm-hmm. So like the last 20 episodes and they've all got more views in a day than, 
on BitChute than they have on YouTube, other than on um, Ben from Uncharted. Right, okay. Well, that's the only one that's kind of caught fire a little bit, isn't it? Well, Ben has 200,000 subs. Yeah, I know, yeah. So you can't really compare. Mm-hmm. But they've done it in a day. Some of these videos have had sixteen week head start on YouTube. Mm-hmm. They've had more views on a day in Bitshit on Bitshit. Mm-hmm. Don't know. So followers on Bitshit. I'm going to start <laughs> putting in the show notes, and I'm going to start updating it with uh, an updating every week there because it seems that YouTube doesn't. We <laughs> What's the audience? What's the user size? Everyone in the fucking world uses YouTube. Yeah. How can we get more views in a day on BitChute than YouTube without some fuckery going on? Just use YouTube as a as a hub to support mm. the transfer <coughs> to BitChute and Odyssey. So we're still live stream on YouTube. And I don't know, I was toying with the idea when the new machine comes, I'll be able to edit videos in lightning speed and breaking the videos up for YouTube. Mm. to like 20 or 30 minute videos and putting them up there but the more it goes on the more I think no fuck them fuck them cheap why are we wasting our time with them mm. need more cats in your videos <laughs> yeah we were saying this before we started yeah. recording all they care about is cat videos and, and gaming streamers my game Game of Thrones that's uh, Dignan I like your Game of Thrones t-shirt I started reading the books a few weeks ago oh god I feel sorry for you Dignan <laughs> the first two books are really good and then they just get start getting drawn out They're and uh, laboured. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I gave up on the third book, I think. I thought, this is too much. He's talking about trees too much. <laughs> you know, the beauty of the first couple of books is they were written like screenplays from the... Each chapter was short, and it was from the perspective of a different character. Different characters, And yeah. they moved it on really quickly. And as, obviously, he got successful then. Mm. And then he started taking five years to write a book. Well, if you're going to fi- take five years, you are going to start writing about the colour of the trees for, f- for a month, aren't you? Ugh. <laughs> oh, bitch. Yeah. Good luck. Maybe he'll stick it out. I can... Read all the books. Oh, cracky. Is that Lee from The Big Conspire? You know when we were all ten years younger and actually interested? Yeah. Never mind. Any more housekeeping? Um, could always toss us a coin. Toss a coin to your witcher. Do it for the lads. 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 You know, because oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. If you go to armsinquisition.com, you'll find the PayPal button there and you can sign up for a monthly, regular, sustained donation. Give us a one-off. Um, donations at the level of £50 or above grant you the rank of executive producer status. Which you can put on LinkedIn. Yep, your curriculum vitae. We'll back you up. Yep, you can link with us. We're on LinkedIn. Yeah. And, uh, you know, only you out there can... Save Blockland. Keep the shit show running. Yeah. I think that's... Is that all the housekeeping focus, G? Oh, Tally's going to turn off. Oh, fuck, where's the remote? God, we we have overrun tonight, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, the telly it feels like half past nine, but it's actually 20 to 11. This is why I don't have time to watch any telly. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing this podcast for five hours. <laughs> oh, well, I think it's time to uh, thank the producers then, isn't it, for episode 216? Yeah. It's time. It's time to big up the man Dems, yo. If we've got Nomi Nos Nodge, Nicholas, Slicko, Helen from Troy, Lee from The Big Conspire, and Anonymous, thank you, you're so amazing. 
Yeah. So amazing in their love, literally. The best mate. Building back better. Because I'm literally a communist. The dwarf. The current. The grape. The homophobe. The winds. The asthma. The corrupt. Cunt. The number 11. The blind man. The fallen on the horizon. The cripple and the mother. Smelly bickering. From hell. Milan. I don't get it. Never will. Yeah, thanks for your support for another week. Lena on the uh, YouTube comment says, bit shoot, sh- bit shoot sucks. Try saying that three times fast. Come on. Bit shoot sucks, bit shoot sucks. Bit shoot sucks. <laughs> oh. You've had like 10 cans of beer and I've had one, two. Oh, that reminds me. You know, um, when I went to bit shoot and searched for, I didn't know if we, I couldn't remember if we had a channel or not. Mm-hmm. I thought I'll search, I'll go to the bit shoot and search for Armist Inquisition and see what comes up. You know what was the first result? It was the episode we did with Big Dave Vice from the Flat Earth, deep inside the <laughs> rabbit Obviously, hole. yeah. He, he re- re-uploaded our video two weeks ago. Oh, really? Because it was so good. <laughs> Good Lord. And I made the mistake of going and looking at the comments. <laughs> oh, no. No. oh, dear. Here's the first one. Oh, you've got some. <laughs> From Brock's Hammer. Broken throwback the mid-strength beers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, you obviously watched. And uh, I, 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 sing, I, I singled out this comment as well. I like this one. From Bulbier Fish. Why do these idiots keep laughing? <laughs> they can't prove that it's round. Just like they said it's round because they saw it on TV. All they do is sit around smoking pat and watch TV. Brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, oh, they told. <laughs> uh, the world is round, man. Bloody. <laughs> Dave said it was round, so I'm with Dave. Whatever Dave yeah, says. Yeah, it's kind of Big D. No, he might snap our necks. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. I don't think he would do that anymore. <coughs> no. So, anyway, uh, shall I move on? Do it. Continue. COVID-19 news. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. The magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass. From hell. Oh! You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day and terminating mode life. It's not going to allow us to go completely back to normal. Anal swab tests in the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. Because we're getting bored, we want to have fun. But I can't save you from not wearing a face mask. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. You're not just irresponsible. I mean, you're an idiot. I've got a, a quick party gate update. Another one. Well, I say quick party gate update. Uh, it's dragged on. There's been more revelations this week. But let's start at the beginning of the week. And uh, Bojo the Clown, dear leader leader of the Republic, uh, was questioned by Beth Rigby from Sky News. Mm-hmm. And uh, Beth was sent as the re- representative of the press to conduct a 15-minute interview, which was pretty tasty. <laughs> and I've got a little clip here. I do know how infuriating it must be uh, for people up and down the country 
in view of the, the huge sacrifices that people have, have made, the way that they've kept... It's going, it's being asked about the party again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still dragging on mm-hmm. because we're still waiting for Sue... Sue Gray. Sue Gray. I think she's going to say whether or not I was at the party. Yep. Poor Sue. Discipline, uh, the way they followed the rules, followed the guidance, they. done the right thing, uh, to think that uh, that didn't happen in, in Number 10 Downing Street. So I want to just say to you on, the, on that point, uh, no, nobody told me that what we were doing was, as you say, uh, against the rules, uh, that the event in question was something that we were going to do something that wasn't a work event. And, you know, as I said in the House of Commons, um, uh, when I went out into that garden, I I thought that I was attending a, a work event. It wasn't within the spirit of the rules, though, Boris, was it to even have a work event? Um, what's the rule? Ignorance of the law. <laughs> Nobody told me. I know, yeah, yeah. Kind of reminded me of this. Nobody told me that this was a party. I thought it was wine night, like I had in February of last year. It's not controversial. Your lies are so hurtful. My pants are on, pants are on fire. There is your trust in me. I say, voters, voters, please, I love the red wall. All I want to do is get lit. Nobody told me that this was a party. I thought it was wine night like I had in February of last year. It's not controversial. Nothing. Just oh, went superb. on and on and on. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I love I love the impromptu um, songs you put together. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway. Uh, How do you follow that? Well, we'll have to carry on with the Beth Rigby interview uh, because she then goes on to say what everyone else in the UK is thinking. The inquiry making. Just, just one more thing on this. Some of your MPs that, and, and members of the public think that this is your Barnard Castle moment. That the idea that you walked into the garden. There's 40 people there. The tables are laid out with food and drink, and there's alcohol yeah. being served in the middle of a lockdown and you think that's a work event. That is just ludicrous, isn't it? You are just taking the mickey out of the British people by no, suggesting well, I, that. I, I, look, I, I, you know how silly that sounds, don't you? I think what people need to do is wait and see what the, the report says. <laughs> but I, I repeat my, my deep apologies to people for mistakes that uh, may have been made on my watch. And but you, because yeah, we've been bored and we want to have fun. See that and, that looks ridiculous. I, I, it sounds ridiculous. I, I, I repeat my apologies for any and all misjudgments that were made, uh, for which I take full responsibility. But I think people do need to, to wait and see the, co- the conclusion of the, 
of the report, and I, I, will, I will draw the necessary uh, consequences and conclusions, but then come back to the House. OK, I've got one final... Yeah. It's, it, it's shameful, isn't it? <laughs> is, is there no limit to his shame? Is there no limit to his shame? Obviously not. And uh, I think that was Tuesday, maybe? And then before... I think it was during Prime Minister's questions, a Tory yes. grandee... David Davis, former le- uh, leadership contender back in yeah. the IDS days. The fellow contestant on uh, Have I Got News For You? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he put a special request into the speaker, Lindsay. He wanted to... Uh, oh, right, said, okay. make sure you come to me. I've got something to say. Right. And because he's such a big beast, he's it, a big it, political beast. He swings his big bollocks around the back benches. Swung that duck dick round and uh, they came to him and this is what he came out with. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Like many on these benches, I spent weeks and months defending the Prime Minister uh, against often angry constituents. I reminded them of his success in delivering Brexit and the vaccine and many other things. But I expect my leaders to shoulder the responsibility for the actions they take. Yesterday, he did the opposite of that. So I'll remind him of a quotation altogether too familiar to him of Leo Amory to Neville Chamberlain. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. Prime Minister. I, I, I must say to the right honourable gentleman, I don't know what he's talking about, uh, but uh, what, I can, what I can tell him, uh, I don't know what quotation he's alluding to that he re- he's referring but what I can tell him is that I, and I think I've told this House repeatedly uh, throughout, this, throughout this pandemic, I take full responsibility for everything done in this government uh, and, and uh, throughout the pandemic. No, no, your job is to not take, take as little responsibility as possible. You've made that mm. abundantly clear. Didn't he write a biography of Churchill as well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's lying. Yes. He's yeah, lying. he lies all the time, though, doesn't he? I mean, he's like, we talked talked about that, didn't we, in the last uh Yeah, he's a compulsive week. liar. And his background and all the things yeah. that he's done. I mean, he's been you know, sacked for lying before. Every, in like every job, I think he's been sacked from, hasn't he? But at the end of the day... He don't give a fuck. No, he, he doesn't, does he? Fuck, does he? No. Um, it got it got even more sort of damaging later in the week when these calls of potential blackmailing of MPs came yeah, out. I've not really read about this. So during Prime Minister's question was the defection. There was a defection from Labour. Yeah. Christian. From, from the... Tory to Labour, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Ex-Tory MP who defected to Labour. Uh, what's he called? Christian yeah. Wakeford. Wakeford. Um, and then he did an interview afterwards. Ex-Tory MP who defected to Labour said he was threatened he would not get a high school in his constituency if he didn't vote in a certain way. I was threatened that I would not get the school for Radcliffe if I didn't vote one particular way. Um, this is a, a town... This is in the vote confidence vote, potential vote confidence, which hasn't been tabled yet, but he, they're out preemptively. He wouldn't get a school, what does that mean? They want, he yeah, needs a school in his constituency. School. They're saying that well, they'll pull the funding for the school in Bury. <laughs> the kids need a high school. Yeah. He doesn't have a high school in his constituency. 
they're planning on building one. Right, okay. But either someone from the from the office in number 10 or one of the whips is saying, when this vote of no confidence comes, because we know it's coming, mm-hmm. if you vote the wrong way, we'll pull, pull the, the funding. funding. Yeah, okay. That's not had um, a high school for the best part of 10 years. And how do you feel when holding back the regeneration of a town for a vote? It, it, it didn't sit comfortably, and, and that was really that kind of starting to question my place where I was uh, and ultimately to, to where I am now. Surely what they should have said is, if, you know, if shit goes down, we're going to lose power, and you're not likely to get that level of funding from a Labour government. Yeah, but that's, but they didn't. That's, that's not what they medium, said. That's medium term. It's still it's still sneaky if they if they went it that way. But anyway, I'm not I'm not um, condoning such behaviour from the whips. I, I think you're naive if you think this is a new phenomenon. No, it's, no, it's gone on. Do you think millennia? Yeah. Do you not think Peter Mandelson used to do this thing in the yeah. new Ye- new Labour days? It's, Alistair Campbell. It's touched upon in. Um, it's not a Tory thing. Must What's interesting is why it's coming out now. Yeah. Because they want to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he's toxic. He has to go. Yes. So they're dumping as much shit as they can to get rid of him. Right. And it's like the thing, isn't it? Like you said last week with What's-His-Face, the little uh, Dominic Cummings wants <laughs> to get the hooks in. Eventually he they will go. It's just a, a matter of time, isn't it? Well, go back to the Barnard Castle days. <laughs> <clears throat> um, no one in the media would believe a word that came out of Dominic Cummings' mouth. <laughs> no. But now he's the Oracle of Delphi. Everything <laughs> exactly. he says must be true because... Yes. Well, he's been sitting favorite. on this for so long as well, yeah. quietly <laughs> bubbling away. Yeah. Yeah, um, but the other thing is, is, you know, what strings is he pulling in the background of what could be next? Michael Gove. Dominic Cummings, PM. <laughs> <laughs> Gove, isn't it? Be an MP first. Gove, is his, be, is his busy mate, by all accounts. No, where we go? Didn't Gove shaft him in the leadership contest last time? Tried to, didn't he? Yeah. Tried to shaft Bojo. Yeah. 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 Well, they've got that in common then. Yeah. <laughs> They're all trying to shaft Bojo. Yeah. Anyway, on to, uh, moving on from the blackmail, there was uh, more on this from a Tory committee chairman, William Rag MP. In recent days, this was in the actual in the committee he made this speech. A number of members of parliament have faced pressures and intimidation from members of the government because of their declared or assumed desire for a vote of confidence in the party leadership of the Prime Minister. It is, of course, the duty of the government whip's office to secure the government's business in the House of Commons. However, it is not their function to breach the ministerial code in threatening to withdraw investments from members of Parliament's constituencies which are funded from the public purse. Additionally, reports to me and others of members of staff at Number 10 Downing Street, special advisers, government ministers and others encouraging the publication of stories in the press seeking to embarrass those who they suspect of lacking confidence in the Prime Minister is similarly unacceptable. The intimidation of a Member of Parliament is a serious matter. Moreover, the reports of which I am aware would seem to constitute blackmail. As such, it would be my general advice to colleagues to report these matters to the Speaker of the House of Commons and the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, and they are also welcome to contact me at any time. Andy. 
his meeting with the Met Police, I think, mm. either over the weekend or early next week. <clears throat> yeah, I read that, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something fishy going on. I mean, this is the thing, though, that these kinds of things, these kinds of threats and uh, moves and things behind sort of closed doors that you just never get to hear of must... Uh, that kind of thing just must happen all the time. You, you know, vote for this and we'll give you this. You know, don't vote for it, we'll take this away. You know, it's, it, that's just how politics works, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, it's a dirty business. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's interesting is why it's coming out now. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, quite a pickle. How do you get out of it? <laughs> well, well, no more lockdown. Scrap plan B. <laughs> This morning, the Cabinet concluded that because of the extraordinary booster campaign, together with the way the public have responded to the Plan B measures, we can return to Plan A in England and allow Plan B regulations to expire. As a result, from the start of Thursday next week, mandatory certification will end. Organisations can, of course, choose to use the NHS COVID pass voluntarily, but we will end the... Good luck with that. Mm. Talk about putting yourself at a disadvantage, a commercial disadvantage. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. You're going to uh, reject admission to who knows how many, 15% of the population. Compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. Yeah. From now on, the government is no longer asking people to work from home. Yeah. And people should now speak to their employers about arrangements for returning to the office. And having looked at the data carefully, the Cabinet concluded... The once regulations lapse, the government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. There's Desmond Swain in the background. <laughs> going through. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, from, from tomorrow, from tomorrow we will no longer require face masks in classrooms. And the department and the Department for Education will shortly remove national guidance uh, on their use in communal areas. In the country at large, we will continue to suggest the use of face coverings in enclosed or crowded spaces, particularly when you come into contact with people you don't normally meet, but we will trust the judgment of the British people. So, there you go. There's your remedy. You want uh, a bit of positive PR? Yeah. (sighs) Is it going to be enough? No. I think there's more to come. I think he's got more, Dominic, hasn't he? He must do. Do you think? I, I think so. I was wondering if Boris has more policy pushes oh. to appease the... Well, as of the... Uh, the only thing that's staying in after next Thursday is uh, the legal requirement to self-isolate, mm. which expires on the 26th of March, I think. Uh, yeah, I saw. I read something about them thinking about mentioning getting rid of that as well. Isolation, self-isolation. Yeah, it expires on the twenty-sixth of March. All right, okay. Um, yeah, but I th- yeah, sorry. I thought they would. What's his face? Savage has sort of said that it's not going to be continued or whatever. I should hope not. Intimated or whatever. Yeah. No. We didn't have legal requirements to self-isolate for the flu. No. No. For example. Hmm. Um, so I don't see why we should carry on with this in ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. It's got to end sooner or later. No, and the majority of people will be probably a little bit more sensible with with not going out when you 
couple of a cold for a bit, maybe. With a 103 fever? Not going into work with, yeah, with like God. bleeding eyes. Yeah. I mean, if you're ill, you don't go out because you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. If you're properly ill. It's... The body has a way of isolating people who are ill. What's that old adage? And, like, uh, if you that get... old adage what? Eat food. <laughs> eat food. Eat food. You know, you know the old adage, eat food, not too much, mostly. Uh, toss a limousab. Yeah, that one. No, what, the um, what's your you, old adage? If you've got a cold, and you what you walk past a, a twenty pound note on the floor, if you've got flu, you wouldn't pick it up. You'd be so like fucked by the flu that you wouldn't bother bending over to pick that twenty pound note up. If you had a cold, you'd pick it up and put it in the nearest charity box. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd take it to police station. Which... <laughs> <laughs> Report to crime. Yeah. Uh, so this, this uh, can this, I have a crime number. This has the Queen's head on it. It was on a floor. There was this guy who blatantly had the flu trying to pick it up, and I just got to it before <laughs> I pushed him over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was about to infect the Queen. An image of the Queen. Well, Lee from the Biggs and Spires asking about the new Omicron stealth variant. <laughs> no. It might be even more transmissible, but harder to spot. Oh, no. Well, if it's harder to spot, surely that means <laughs> it doesn't make you as ill. Yeah. So, you know, that's fine, isn't it? That's good news, again. It's all good news. The problem is, is that the precedent has been set and now we have a health security agency <laughs> which is out there looking for anything mm. oh, yeah, that might security. give us a reason... To lock down society again, so we have to be vigilant and say, no, never again, we're not having this ever again. Sure, don't be fucking arseholes. <laughs> but that might not happen because it depends how much fear they d- decide to inject in the situation each time. Mm. People are motivated very effectively by fear, unfortunately. Yeah, I read an article on the BBC today about a medical apartheid between... Um, I read it. Um, immunosuppressed people yeah. and the general population <laughs> with the ending of sort of like the ch- the uh, guidance and stuff. Why yeah. is that? They were never afraid when, you know, bef- in the before times when it was the flu that was killing 20,000 people a winter. Mm. But now... Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah it's just... Um, it's not it's watching because, the TV, man. It's because it's there, isn't it? It's been weaponized. Yeah. We've been propagandized. Look them in the eye. Yeah. Tell me you didn't, you know, lick that gate post. Tell, look them in the eye and say you didn't have wine and cheese. <laughs> 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 right, let's go on. Um, Savage Javid was sent out for a briefing. Oh, God. Uh, after PMQs, I think it was the night of PMQs to underline... Uh, you know, how things were going to be changing, the end to masks in schools right. and the end to uh, COVID passports and whatnot. <clears throat> and um, it's just not very comfortable in front of the cameras, no, Savage. yeah, he's a bit... Awful. Especially in a live situation like that. No, he's, he's just... He's a hedge fund manager, isn't he, really? <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's just got to the point where he's just making words up now. It's a reminder of what this country can accomplish... When we all work together. Accomplish. It's a reminder of what this country can accomplish when we all work together. Accomplish. Accomplish. He dropped a P, but in the middle of a word. (laughs) I wonder, I I think I'd like to make my wife accomplish once in her life. 
This is uh, a family-friendly podcast. Tosse Lizu Mub. <laughs> Tosse Lizu Mub. Uh, What's Tosse Lizu Mub? Tosse Lizu Mub. It got worse for, for Savage. Oh, mm. Savage. No one in the mainstream has picked this up, but he farted. <laughs> I've not seen this anywhere. He farted in the middle of the press conference. Good. Uh, th- thank you for your question. Look, first on on the daily uh, death toll. Hear that? Yeah. Listen again. Good. Uh, th- thank you for your question. Look, first on on the daily uh, death toll. And he moves away from the podium <laughs> immediately after that. It's like it's too late. The mic's already picked it up. He moves uh, away from the podium. Well, we've all got asses. Yeah. Good. Uh, th- thank you for your question. Look, first on, on the daily uh, death toll. Yeah. He don't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> anyway, uh, what have we got next? What happened next? Oh, fuck. Uh, Dr. Hillary. Oh, oh here we go. Ten coke. Uh, he's, some of his best work has come out this week. Oh, Dr. Oh, Hillary. Fucking hell. Check this out. It's on uh, Good Morning Britain. Dr. Hillary is, is the resident... General practitioner doctor on Good Morning Britain. He's been on our screens since I was yay high. Yeah. Since I was a little kiddie. Dr. Hillary. He's been around Hillary long Mantel. Time. Yeah. Hey? <laughs> Dr. Hillary Mantel. What's his last name? <laughs> is it Jones? Is it Jones? Yeah. Is it Jones? Hillary Jones, I think. Yeah. Check this out. Uh, and there's something else I think is important to point out about. Oh, that's, that's, that's savage. Still. It sounds just like. It sounds just like. Hillary Jones. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Oh no, I've skipped ahead. Yeah. So uh, a bit later in the press conference with Savage, mm-hmm. he made, he, he, they just dropped this in and it's weird. The death rate, which maybe Susan might. Have- let me just, uh, let me restart that because I wasn't expecting it. Okay, here we go. Uh, and there's something else I think is important to point out about the death rate, which maybe Susan might expand on when 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 I've come to her. It is uh, also with Omicron. We know that if we look at infections uh, of people with COVID in hospital, we estimate around 40% of the people with COVID in hospital uh, are, are, are there uh, not because they've got COVID. They happen to have COVID. So it's a, what you might call an incidental Infection, so they're not there being treated for COVID, and that's almost double. Wow, I can't believe they've actually admitted that. Two years in, I know, yeah, was what? kept secret in yeah. government. And the train you won't hear on the BBC in the last two years or Sky. No, I we've been saying it, yeah, and so so it's obviously moving towards ending stuff isn't it they're rolling it all back yeah they're gradually rolling all it all back all the fear porn (laughs) that they've been serving up on platters they're trying to roll it back gradually yeah Yeah. the percentage that we saw with delta and that's important because the deaths that that are being reported of uh of people uh that had that were covid positive within 28 days of uh which is a useless fucking statistic Mm mm-hmm we've been saying plus you can be po- you can test positive for covid up to 90 days post infection yep mm-hmm. 
of uh, passing away, uh, that many of those people uh, would not have necessarily died of COVID. And what we're seeing in hospitals, uh, that proportion of roughly 40% not being there because of COVID is an indicator of that. What Susan might expand on is that uh, the ONS has has very detailed data on that, which I think they'll come out with shortly, where they look at the actual cause of death on death certificates. And I think that will be important data when it comes. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure it'll be important. Maybe start collecting this and publishing it from the beginning. But that wasn't part of the message, was it? No, and he 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 made he put a twist on it, didn't he? By saying it was to do, he tried to intimate it was to do with the Omicron variant rather than the Delta and the yeah. Alpha or whatever it was. No, it's bad statistics and lack of analysis. It's yeah, a and blunt it, instrument. Twenty eight days within the positive. Doesn't test. fit the narrative either, does it? Well, it didn't at the time. That's what I mean. We're yeah. trying to control our behaviour. Yeah. Same with the masks. Why you need to wear a mask? Because if you weren't wearing a mask and you didn't see people wearing a mask, you wouldn't realise there was fucking anything going on because no one knew anyone. Mm. State of fear. Yeah. Good book. So they are rolling it back, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This guy is just shat on the floor. This guy is actually just shat on the floor. Is that right? <laughs> Is that before he moved away from the podium? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've played him in the wrong order, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was important because most people will have missed that. It was the last question. Yeah. New enough, the last thing they said. Mm. We'll see what the ONS comes up with. Again, you can't really trust the ONS. They're, they're as bad for uh, manipulating figures. But anyway, Dr. Hillary, <laughs> some of his best work has come out this week on GMB. This is uh, he's He's not happy with... All this unlocking. Oh, is he not? No. Oh, okay. No, I've got a new villa in the Algarve. I need to pay for. <laughs> Come on, I want to get. I want to get on the speaking circuit. Yeah. People talk about this becoming endemic. Mm. Uh, people talk about we'll have to learn to live with COVID. And indeed, we will have to learn to live with COVID. But at the same time, we'll also have to learn to die with COVID. And I tell you, it's not just because of COVID. It's because oh. people won't be able to get their operations in hospital. They won't be able to get treatment for strokes, for heart disease, for cancer. If you look at the fact that at the moment, six million people are on the waiting list. We've got staff shortages. We had a recruitment crisis in the NHS even before COVID. COVID. So we can't avoid those indirect harms. And and if you're saying you don't have to self-isolate, you're basically saying infectious disease doesn't matter. You're you're, you're saying if you've got... This is the best bit. If you've got a temperature? An infection, whatever it is, whether it's COVID or flu or pneumonia or anything else that's contagious, go out there amongst society and spread it around. If you have flu, you don't have to self-isolate. Well, you should. If you've got flu, you've got a temperature of 103. It's very contagious. It's a nasty disease. It can- I mean, when I when I have a temperature of 103, I just go straight for the clubs. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you not yeah. think? Well, not, Sweat it out. Not yeah. since I've been since about the age of 17 have I been out feeling fucking rough like that. I don't we think. used to. I'm sure we we've all been there. We've all felt ill and then. But there's a big night tonight, so I'm just going. At what age? Oh, yeah, when we were young. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, yeah. Been invincible. I can't think of anything worse now. No way. You could just about go out. (laughs) Full stop. Definitely not out, out. No. No. We'll also have to learn to die with COVID. (laughs) 
Uh, learn to die. Die with COVID, not of COVID. <laughs> At least he said that. <coughs> Maybe it could be in the new Bond film. We'll also have to learn to die with COVID. <laughs> die with COVID. Be a Bond title, that. Yes, yeah. It's going to be dead interesting, though, if this what this ONS stuff says about what the coroner or whatever, whoever makes the decision about the actual cause of death versus whether they were positive for COVID and how they can pull that apart. Well, there was some ONS data came out last week. It was about people who um, died without comorbidities. All right. Um, over the length of the pandemic from March 2020 to end of September, third quarter of 2021, mm-hmm. in... Uh, I think it was England and Wales, it was 17,000. Right, okay. So it's less, around about 10, just over 10%, is it? It's about 150 people, 150,000 have died of, yeah. with COVID. I mean, flu on a good year takes about 7,000, doesn't it? So sort of, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not going into it. Uh, I looked at my age group for males, uh, 35 to 39. Find any. 40? 40. <laughs> 40. Right. I mean, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what comes up. Anyway, back to Dr. Hillary. This is a great one. This is him sort of um, struggling to swallow his own bullshit. <laughs> you would You're rather protecting be, you patients. would rather the restrictions stayed in place and it stayed magic. I would, They're going to lift the restrictions. I would rather some restrictions stayed in place and that we ease them off gradually according to how hospitals are coping. And if they right now we have so many people in hospital, so many on ventilators, such a, a high case uh, 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 load of co- COVID. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Nothing. Load of COVID. (coughs) Excuse me. Choking it down. COVID. (coughs) (sighs) When are we getting him on the podcast? Load of COVID. (coughs) Can't afford it. Excuse me. You're just going to learn to die with it. We'll also have to learn to die with COVID. Oh, no, actually. No, hang on. Hang on. We'll also have to learn to die with COVID. Nice. COVID. We'll also have to learn to die with COVID. That can, that can be worked. Yeah. Okay. Free tests are ending mid-June. I heard that was... I thought that had been leaked. Has that been confirmed? Oh, who knows? A pack of... I think it's 30 quid for a pack of... Um, Wow. Seven? 30 yeah. quid? Bloody hell. Seriously? What, do you think that's dear? It's a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dear, for a pack of seven? Yeah. It's like four pound each. That's what I mean, I know, yeah. All right, I thought that was oh, four pound a test, that seems fairly cheap. I that's, think, uh, that's very expensive for like a, a throwaway diagnostic. Yeah, like... How much your pregnancy test? That's what, about five or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were more than that. Well, last time it's I bought your, one. Um, a digital your one. strips for uh, digital, digital ones. Last time I bought one. Yeah, they, yeah. I think that they are more, more expensive. The ones you piss on. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but yeah, those ones, those ones, you can get cheap ones and wow. expensive ones. But I suppose there's only two, isn't there? Like you know, one or two sometimes in the pack, like a fiver. Wow. So I suppose they are mm. quite cheap in some respects, isn't it? Yeah. So. Will they still be available, but they'll be expensive, or uh, mm. they're just not? I think it, 
Yeah, so, well, it's just to stop people. It'll disappear, won't it? So my 12 boxes I can sell on a black market after June. Why not? Unless they have a sell bot, sell yeah. by date. Yeah, they do. Use they? by date. Yeah. So I can <coughs> sharpie that out. <laughs> you could be sitting on a gold mine. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. 12 thinking. boxes? Don't <laughs> yeah. order them now. like 360 pounds. I know. Wow. I did want an Xbox for Christmas, though. <laughs> You could sell them and then get Dave's course. I could. Who wants, on, who wants minute, to you buy want, some lat flow tests? You want an Xbox? No, what I'm saying is that I wanted something other than those for Christmas. Why not a PS5? Oh, <laughs> I just pick something out. All right, okay. Just Can you even get a PS5 still? Or yet? Yet? Still? Yet? They're just always out, out of stock, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Right. Moving on. Uh, should we skip over the conservatories? No, it's Saturday night. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we'll skip um, Hong Kong calling the hamsters. Oh, <laughs> why? Because it's got COVID. No, why are we skipping over it? Well, it's That's nothing really. It's nothing to say, really. They, they, they found COVID in a bunch of hamsters in a pet shop. Right. And they said, yeah, are like, they killing all hamsters in the country then? No, just a couple of thousand. That's fine then. Yeah. It was one pet shop's got a couple of thousand hamsters. With COVID. Well, well um, but maybe it was in the area. <laughs> right. So, saying, like, if you're going for Christmas, bring them back. Christmas presents, we need to call them. We need to gas them. Can't yeah. vaccinate them. Good luck in, in <laughs> explaining that to your kids. Why uh, Fluffy has to go back to the pet shop. Mm. Because it has been dictated to be the way. Yeah, it's like the mink in, in Denmark. Yeah. Like, they're... in 2020. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Was it was not so tens of thousands? Yeah, they called all the mink. But they they were, I think they were on mink farms, weren't they? They were being farmed for their fare, weren't they? Yes. Do you think they'd call pandas if they found it in a in a giant panda? Ethical dilemma, that, mm. isn't it? Exactly. It's not, is it? <laughs> you know, there's rumours that the Omicron... <laughs> That's not how they killed their hamsters, <laughs> I think. Yeah, we talked about yeah, this before, about the Omicron coming from mice, didn't we? Yes, pangolins. Oh no, no, we did. Yeah, mice. Yeah, yeah. yeah mice are the saviors, like like Ben said in the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. All right. Climate change. There's a war. I've not got the climate change oh, jingle no. anymore. I can't wait for COVID to end so we can do more fun stuff. Yeah, I was going to say what we're going to fill our pockets with. <laughs> That's fine. There'll right. be other things. Climate change. There's a war, and it's on conservatories. So once they're up, we know people don't want us to take them down, which is fine. Obviously, I'm in my conservatory here. We, when we bought the house, it was here. So, so yeah, we're just trying to keep people safe, ultimately. Okay, so how and deal you're, with what is going to you're become... Saying, you're saying... Keep people safe. Safe. <laughs> safe, yeah. We need to keep people safe by banning the construction of new conservatories. <laughs> uh, she was doing the interview in her own conservatory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? It's awful. It's just what planet's like... this on? <laughs> planet normal? Planet extinction rebellion, I think it's called, isn't it? Planet wasn't it this morning or something? Or the BBC? It was G- GMB what? again. GMB. Yeah. Why? So. Why? 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 Climate change. Climate change. I don't get the connection. The searches are made of glass. Uh, They're not insulated. Yeah. Oh, a window tax. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, it lasted for 156 years, the yeah. window tax. Can, can we just Didn't have like, little mm. open archways to sling our arrows through? 
Slits. That's a, but that'd be even worse. There's not even glass. Yeah. There's not even Pilkington's special K in there. No. So I, I still don't get whether glass is a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> it's a bad thing. That's why they want to ban Tell me what to think. <laughs> Unless well, they come up with some it. new glass that doesn't let heat out. Well, all like modern buildings are made of glass and steel. Well, what if you had two layers of glass? Like yeah. doubly glazed. Or three. <laughs> or three. In bare. You could call it like five tri- opaque glazing. <laughs> yeah. Filled with an inert gas in the middle. Someone write that down. Could be your argon, maybe. Yeah. One, of, <laughs> one of the nobles. Yeah. Write this down, Phil. This is gold. Whoa. Two layers of glass in a window. Mm. Climate crisis solved. Sorry, climate emergency solved. Yeah, warm layer, cold layer. It seems that even double glazing cannot compare with bricks that are insulated. So you want a conservatory made entirely <laughs> bricks. of bricks? <laughs> yeah. That no windows, be... no doors. You won't own it. I've got, I've got one house that doesn't have a conservatory. It's a traditional brick-built house with cavity wall and then 300 mil of insulation in the roof. And next door, I have the same house, but it has a conservatory. And a lot of the heat escapes out of the double-glazed conservatory. Why do you have two houses, you bloody <laughs> lord? You're killing the planet. <laughs> it's not my fault. Have they got a conservatory next door? <laughs> they've, got <laughs> an or- they've got an orangery. Have they? That's yeah. half- is that better? Because it's half brick. It's got to be better than if it was all glass, surely. I don't know. No, it isn't. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roger. He was talking about buying a house with an orangery. Oh, Planet yeah. killer. Planet killer. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I'm just trying to keep people safe, right? <laughs> keep people if safe. If I walk around being known as Planet Killer, that's a pretty sweet nickname. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I'm planning a loft conversion with a giant V-Lux <laughs> dormer window. It's the what? biggest window you can get. Will there be lots of <laughs> halogen <laughs> lights? Uh, everywhere, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good because that'll save on your heating. Yeah, you can like, warm yeah. yourself up off the lights. As as you can the... get a farming subsidy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got. Um, um, I work in my underpants. Next, uh, uh, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> in my son's room, and you fit the three down lights in the alcove next to the chimney breast. And they are halogen, and I just have those on in the day to keep me warm. Yeah, just take the edge off. Yeah, yeah it does work. <laughs> yeah. It's, work. it's, well, it's like reptiles. You kept reptiles. What are you trying to say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you put a heat lamp on. I'm not a reptile. I know you know, but you know. Light, you know, some bulbs are so inefficient that they can be used as eaters. Yeah, yeah, those ones are pretty inefficient. Pretty inefficient, yeah. LEDs, oh, it's, it's, it's a scam, the LED thing. They don't last. They really don't last. They just throw away. We're just being flooded by cheap Chinese LED lamps. Well, this is the thing: last for two years, and you got to bin them. Why would you? Why would you put something out there that never needed to replace and put yourself out of business? Well, Ed, you know, was it Edison who Al- allegedly thing? invented it? Uh, There's one in the fire station in New York, isn't that's it? it? And it's, it's been going for 120 for, years. Yeah. Oh right, okay. Incandescent. Yeah. It's not. It's not like 40 watt. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Still, I mean. <laughs> It's there, the technology's there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm finished. Saying you're all right in your conservatory, your conservatory's still going to stand, but nobody else is allowed to have one from now on. Is that your point? 
So, so, so yes. this house came with the conservatory on it. What the new legislation is saying is not to build new ones because we know the world is getting warmer and warmer. So what you're doing is you're building infrastructure and we're doing it all around the UK that isn't fit for purpose. Yep. So get your conservatory built quick then. Mm. The legislation is going to come in and say you can't build one. And it'll say you can't have um, what do you, the log burner. You'll be able to have one of them. When's the log log burner legislation coming in? Because I want to get one for the back room. Who knows? It could be any day. House is freezing. So I want a log burner. This woman woman needs to read prehistory decoding. Just read. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because sweat, man. Yeah, because she needs to know that we are artificially keeping the earth warm, so we don't dip back into another ice age. We're in the midst of yo-yoing between massive ice ages. And the Holocene is just like this weird anomaly where we've managed to... It is an anomaly. It is an anomaly. So, you know, she wants to check herself before she wrecks herself. How does she feel about greenhouses for growing, you know, plant-based food? Yes. That seems like you're converting the energy into the plants. Mm-hmm. Converting the energy into my enjoyment of my (laughs) (laughs) conservatory. Uh, Yeah, that's not uh, socially responsible. Not being a good COVID citizen if you do that. Not being a good climate citizen. A good climate citizen, yeah. You're just Uh, wasting. You're wasteful. Yeah, where are you wasting? Where's your social responsibility? Yeah, Ben. You would would score really low. Oh, yeah, your social credit score. Mm. Fuck, can you imagine if you had a conservatory Mm. and like some. Petrol guzzling sports car. Yeah, and that oh, gosh. and that was you know held against you. I think we're gonna have to tax him hard. Yeah, I'm gonna have to turn we? you. You have to turn your juice off. I'll pay yeah. those taxes. Yeah, or maybe we'll just just turn his heating down with his wireless thermostat that he was so keen to buy that hive thing. <laughs> maybe we'll just control that. Maybe we'll just control that remotely. <laughs> I think I can do that right now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I might do that for you because oh. you're being so wasteful. Oh, Because yeah. I control your thermostat. And oh, you, you yeah. signed a contract. Do you remember that small rain that you didn't read? Oh, well, it's not enough to you worry about it, When it. you gave your data away. And um, also, we can just turn your car off now because there's no petrol oh. stations anymore. Uh, that's... Fuck, I read somewhere this week about kill switches. <laughs> they're putting... They're mandating kill switches. Is it the Euro NCAP or something? What do you... They're going to start mandating kill switches in cars. So, so they can be killed by remotely. Turned off. What? Turned off. Killed. So in case it's like stolen or it's like being used in like... No, 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 no. In case it's producing too much CO2 out the back of it. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Well, you've, you've, so you've, you've gone off your allowance. Mm. You've used too much. Mm-hmm. You, only had, you only had 100 carbon credits and you've used 105. Mm. You've got to your car off. Mm-hmm. While you're doing 70 down the M6. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, One more. I've got one more. Is that all? So depressing. Is that all? It's like half 11. I'm just starting to wake up again now. Andrew. Prince Andrew. Oh, no. What car crash? (laughs) There's a new documentary coming out. I think it's called The Prince, Ghislaine and Me. (laughs) I remember. And it's uh, this clip from the trailer is um, this guy talking is a former royal protection officer, Paul Page. Oh. And he was discussing the Duke of York's relationship with Ghislaine mm. as part of this new ITV documentary, Ghislaine, Prince Andrew and the Paedophile. 
I first met Ghislaine Maxwell, um, I think it was 2001. From the way she was allowed to enter and exit the palace at will, um, we realised, suspected that she may have had an intimate relationship with Prince Andrew. A colleague of mine remembered her coming in four times in one day, from the morning till the evening. She kept coming in and out, in and out. It had about 50 or 60 stuffed toys <laughs> positioned on the bed. This is Andrew with the stuffed toys on the bed. Have you not heard this? Oh, I think I've heard something about a maid or something and like not being in the right place. And basically, there was a, uh, a card the inspector showed us uh, in a drawer and it's a picture of these bears all in situ on the bed. And the reason for the laminated picture was that if he, those bears weren't put back in the right order by the maids, he would shout and scream and become verbally abusive. Yeah, there's, there's a maid come out, hasn't there? And done an interview, apparently, one of his ex-maids, saying that he was, like, you know, an entitled prince. <laughs> Shock horror. <I> know. <laughs> you would have thought, being brought up in those circumstances, that he would have his feet on the ground and be a man of the people. I mean, some are. Some people have the metal for it, and uh, other people, it's like these trust fund kids, these mm-hmm. slush fund kids. Best thing you can do for him is give him note. It? <laughs> to be honest, because it seems that a lot of them just turn into fucking tow rags. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'd like to turn into a tow rag. <laughs> <laughs> be a trust fund baby. You need to be financially dominated or the other way around. What was it? <laughs> oh my God, have you seen what Lisa's put on the chat? No. I've well just Did you... It. Did you miss the story today of the two men in Ireland who carried a dead body into a post office? Oh, shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in an attempt to claim the deceased man's pension. Yeah. Weekend at Bernie's. Style <laughs> Yep. Yeah, they went in to try and claim pension for this old fellow. In, Where? In the, oh, Ireland. Ireland. And the post office said, no, you can't do that. He needs to be here in person. He needs to be alive. They went off and they came, they came back. And With she said these two, two of them were like propping this guy up in the middle and wandered over to the counter. But, um, it, well, one of the other um, customers in the, in the post office got suspicious and they ran away. So they must have just dropped it. This, this corpse just dropped. Sunglasses fell off, obviously. <laughs> And uh, yeah, the police are after him. The guard, the guard, guard, I, guard, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, weekend at Bernie style, yeah. Mm. I always that always reminds me of the Jimmy White story. Oh, what's that? Was Jimmy White, the Jimmy White's player? brother, or something, wasn't it? When they <coughs> took him to the pub uh, after he died, allegedly. I don't know if this is this is obviously some kind of urban myth. Jeez. And for his yeah, so for his wake, they actually took him out or something and sat him in the pub. I'd like to do that. I'd rather go there than the post office. <laughs> but it may have just been that he was in the coffin. You know, like people used to have open coffins and stuff. And Wheeled him so in. People still do, don't they? Um, and you go and uh, sort of pay respect to whatever. I was talking to someone earlier this week. One of my customers were talking about how our problem is our um, disconnection from our mortality. And he was talking about when he lived in India. And he would see the dead body every day, pretty much. Yeah, that's something and, uh, that a lot, of, a lot of people talk about that. Most people don't, but will go through their entire life you know, mm-hmm. uh, being being confronted with this thing, that mm-hmm. our mortal coil, the fact that we aren't here for a long time, we're here for a good time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can connect it to the lack of, 
I was going to say lack of faith, but that's probably the wrong word. Or, uh, you know, uh, materialistic paradigm and all that bullshit that we've had. That's, uh, we are biological robots, as, as uh, Dawkins would say. Piloting. Life, life's essentially meaningless. We are uh, a, a cancer, cancerous polyp on the third <laughs> rock from the sun, <sighs> hurtling through space and completely insignificant. And that's such a nihilistic, horrible way to live your mm. life. Shut up, meat bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get in your meat vehicle and uh, <laughs> fuck off. Um, should we end? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, have you got through all of your notes? I've got, a, I've got a story, but you know, it's it's the the dog with the sausages. Is that the one that survived? <laughs> Is it worth going? Stranded dog saved from rising tide after researchers. Oh, I've done well in this podcast. Why? <laughs> a few of these have been my stories. Yes. Yes. Stranded dogs saved from rising tide after rescuers attached sausage to drone. <laughs> Team in Hampshire ties sausage to drone as last resort to rescue Millie the Jack Russell from mudflats as the tide rose. It began to look per- perilous for Millie the Jack Russell Whippet Cross, who had defied the efforts of police, firefighters and co- coast guards <laughs> to pluck her from treacherous mudflats. So... The rescuers had to think imaginatively and came up with the idea of attaching a sausage to a drone and hoping the scent of the treat would tempt Millie to safety. It worked gloriously, and Millie has been reunited with her grateful owner after following the dangling sausage to higher, safer ground. Oh, excellent. Well done, Millie. Follow the sausage to higher ground is the takeaway from that. Millie disappeared after slipping her lead in Havant, Hampshire, and after frantic public appeals were spotted on the mudflats, in danger of being engulfed by the tide. She resisted efforts to encourage her to a safer spot until a drone pilot suggested attaching food to one of the unmanned aerial vehicles that had been used to track the dog. It was a crazy idea, said Chris Taylor, the chair of the Denme drone search and rescue team, but they pressed ahead and after checking Civil Aviation Authority regulations and the maximum maximum takeoff weight of their machines, the rescuers calculated they could attach a single sausage <laughs> to, to, to the drone. Is that all? You can see in the middle, like, it's like uh, augmented reality, and they're throwing stuff. Okay, here's the drone. Vera, give me the weight of the sausage. 300 grams. Okay, attach this. So, it's like minority report. So, uh, yeah, so we attached the sausage to the drum. Taylor said, one of the local residents on the beach where we were flying from supplied us with the sausages. What the fuck? I think they were from Aldi. The woman cooked them up for us and we attached them with a string. So the joy of the rescuers, Millie, took the bait. If we hadn't have gotten away from the area, the tide would have come in and she wouldn't have been at risk of drowning. It was something we'd never tried before. The sausages were the last resort as we couldn't reach her by a kayak or any other means. Because Millie was hungry, it worked at luring her away from the danger to higher ground, which wouldn't go underwater. We certainly would consider using sausages again. Every dog and search operation is always going to be different. But if we were ever in a similar situation, we would employ the same methods to lure the dog. Meanwhile, three rapes and four murders were carried out in the Avon area. Dog was rescued, Matt. (laughs) 
Oh, my God. Well, I've, oh, I'm going to have to, just quickly, I'm gonna, I've got to go over this. This is from the Rolling Stone this week, end-to-end encryption. Oh, right, you know, yeah. like WhatsApp, yeah. uh, Signal, Telegram, Facebook, Messen- uh, Facebook are trying to get it for Messenger, I think, end-to-end encryption. This is from Rolling Stone magazine. Revealed! UK government plans publicity blitz to undermine privacy of your chats. The Home Office has hired a high-end ad agency to mobilise public opinion against encrypted communications with plans that include some shockingly manipulative tactics. What? And now the UK government, can you believe this? The UK government is set to launch a multi-pronged publicity attack on end-to-end encryption, Rolling Stone has learned. One key objective, mobilising public opinion against Facebook's decision to encrypt its Messenger app. The Home Office has hired MNC Saatchi, advertising agency, yeah. a spin-off of Saatchi and Saatchi, mm. which made the uh, famous Labour Isn't Working poster mm. from the pre-Thatchy years. Um, uh, among the most famous in UK political history to plan the campaign using public funds, so you're paying to be propagandised by your own government about end-to-end encryption again. Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> According to documents reviewed by Rolling Stone, one of the activities considered as part of the publicity offensive is a striking stunt. Placing an adult and a child, both actors, in a glass box with the adult looking knowingly at the child as the glass fades to black. Multiple sources confirmed the campaign was due to start this month with privacy groups already planning a counter campaign. The plan includes a media blitz, campaign efforts from UK charities and law enforcement agencies, calls to action from the public to contact tech companies directly, and multiple real-world stunts, some designed to make the public, in quotes, uneasy. The presentation was produced to recruit potential not-for-profit coalition partners. So it so it has. Uh, it's not clear whether or not each proposed action within was approved for a final campaign. Whatever. One key slide notes: most uh, in quotes, most of the public have never heard of end-to-end encryption, adding that this means people can be easily swayed on the issue. The same slide notes that the campaign must not start a privacy versus safety debate. The opening phase of the campaign is expected to launch within days. According to the presentation, the push will appear to be the result of grassroots action and children's charities while downplaying any governmental role. A bit like Clap for Carers, anyone? Do you remember this? Yeah. Does anyone think that that was a grassroots movement, Clap for Carers, sprang up out of nowhere? We... Mm. Research the woman behind it, that Dutch woman, had a massive history of public campaigning. She was linked to governments. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Government decides what it wants and then it decides to unleash PR and propaganda against the public to get what it wants. Uh, uh, For the day of the launch, the presentation notes, we will publish a press notice announcing that the UK's biggest children's charity and stakeholders have come together to urge social media companies to put children's safety first. This campaign will be targeted through, in quotes, an agreed list of media outlets, including sofa programmes such as Loose Women and This Morning. 
The slide notes the project is exploring a partnership with tabloid newspaper The Sun, UK's second best-selling shit rag. Sorry, <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> this launch will, the presentation states, be accompanied by a digital counter in public space, counting up to 14 million over the course of 24 hours, the number of incidents of potential exploitation the government believes could be missed as a result of expanded end-to-end encryption. Is that exploitation or messages with exploitation? That it's, figure? it's a made-up number. Exactly. It's, you know... Shit. You can't track it because it's end-to-end encrypted. That's the point. Honestly. How about just keep your kids... Actually, monitor, like, be a parent and monitor what your kids do online and take note of what they do online. Mm-hmm. Why we don't need big daddy government to decide. Yeah, big, be aware it's your of job. It's our control. job first. I know it's difficult, but it's our responsibility at the end of the day. But I just like to sit in the conservatory. <laughs> <laughs> this launch, uh, here we go. The Home Office has faced previous scrutiny over its behind-the-scenes roles in communication plans. It has run operations aimed at countering extremism and polarisation, criticised by investigative journalists in... Perhaps the most striking un- and unsettling action is planned for this stage, which Sachi states will create a visual PR stunt. A glass box is installed in a public space. Inside the box there are two actors, one child, one adult, both strangers. The child sits, playing on their smartphone. At the other end of the box we see an adult sat on a chair, also on their phone, typing away. The adult occasionally looks over at the child knowingly. Intermittently through the day the privacy glass will turn on and the previously transparent glass box will become opaque. Passers-by won't be able to see what's happening inside. In other words... We create a sense of unease by hiding what the child and adult are doing online when their interaction can't be seen. Ooh, creepy. Sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. They're after it, though, aren't they? It might be a great idea. Point is, is that it's not transparent. It'd be nice to know what your government is spending your money on. Would be, and when you get you see something like Clap for Carers, which is portrayed as a glass, grassroots movement to support the NHS, it's not. It's a PR. It's a PR, and it's there for a reason to make you comply mm. with what they want you to do. Stay at home, be a good COVID citizen, <laughs> come out on a Thursday night and bang your fucking pots and pan like a good. Slave. That's what it is. Sorry to be vulgar, but this is how the world works, in my opinion. I think you're hitting hitting the point, Phil. When we get get Andy, she's Andy. (laughs) (laughs) We forgot about him, didn't we? He wanted to come back. (laughs) Right, let's make it happen. February. Yep. Okay. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> <Everything. knows. laughs> we were talking about abortion last time. <laughs> we, gotcha. Good subjects. We like, I like touchy subjects. Yeah. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> okay. Are you entertained? Are you not entertained? Ah, uh, yeah. Reasonably. Are you not entertained? It's pretty dark. The last, last I know, few yeah. Bits, it took it? a, took yeah. a turn. Yeah, we need to end on a high. Next time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a miracle. 
What do you think, Nige? Epic dub. Cheers, mate. Mm. Do it. All you need to do with the dessert spoon is put it in a bowl of warm water as well before you shove it up your ass. All right, we'll be back next week. I've no idea who's on next week, so you'll have to go on the Discord and find out. Check it out. You'll find out on Monday. Mm. All right. Yeah, bye. Sign off. In the name of God, go! (laughs) It's a reminder of what this country can accomplish when we all work together. Come on, man. Save Blockland. If you can be vaccinated and you refuse to... That's a selfish act. Fuck off. This is such a crock of load of COVID. <clears throat> Excuse me. Shit. This is such a load of COVID. <clears throat> Excuse me.